I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football, I like football season, and all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We are live on YouTube, and it's time, Sam. Week one preview is here. Does uh, does Bruce, Buff- Bruce Buffer have that trademark? Did you just violate? You what just did I say? Man, some money. It's time. No, it's time. That's his version of "Let's get ready to the thing that we can't say." Or his is "It's time." Period. Exclamation point. Mine was "It's time." Comma. Week one of the NFL season is here. Okay, so as long as you use it in a sentence, you're yeah, okay? the punctuation matters. I think right. when it comes to copyright terms. But yeah, Bruce probably isn't listening here anyway. But you are, and you're here, and you're ready. And we're ready to go. We already previewed tonight's game. We're recording live on Thursday. Already previewed Chiefs-Lions. We're 1 16th of the way there. But saddle up. One down. Partners. Partners. 15, that's a dumb and dumber. Saddle up, partner. Okay. 15 games to preview. That's I mean, what we're going to do. Right now, what's there? There used to be, what, 265 NFL games? Uh-huh. I, I can't do the math on the. Add 17. Yeah. We're going to preview and review every single NFL game. Are you ready? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this is it. We're going to go through. I don't know what kind of order we have. We used to do our um, games of the week, but we're just going to go. We're just going to we give every well, game. Well, now you're, letting, you're, you're abdicating order responsibility to Ben Stockwell. Yeah, we've, done, we've, we've got a new spreadsheet order, uh, which will not necessarily highlight the top games at the top. <laughs> it's going to be based off of time. So we're going to go... So it's somewhat it's, chronologically here. Right. It's chronological order in the week. Is that how he does this? Yeah. Yes. It'll be uh, the one o'clock games first, and then we'll get into the fours and the eights, and there we go. Yeah. No, I understand how chronological works. Yeah. That's how it's. Uh, are we ready to go? Let's do it. But first, as a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family how to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with things like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. We will have timestamps up if needed. Um, anything else? If needed. Well, I mean, if timestamps, if you want to get to your game no, or whatever it might be. Uh, but we're going to go game by game. Uh, anything else to cover before we get into it? Yesterday we did our bets and prediction shows for viewers. We'll have a running tally of that. We did our official season preview back on Monday. Be sure to check those episodes out if you haven't yet. You're giving away Madden codes in the Discord. 
And we're giving away Madden codes in the Discord. So the Discord link is in the description of the YouTube uh, video. If you're listening in podcast land, you have to go to the video, make sure you get to the Discord, click the link, sign up for the Discord, and we'll give away Madden codes Monday, the, this Monday right after week one. Mm-hmm. There is a channel in the Discord, uh, what is it called, Madden Platforms, where you just go in there, drop your uh, platform, Xbox or PS5, and your uh, you know handle, username, whatever they call that. And you could you could be the one to win the code. All right, it's time. The first game to preview for the two thousand. It's just another grand gone. Did it again, Bruce. Uh, that just, was a, Bruce just here. Yeah, it's another one. Take it off. It is now time to preview the season. You're saying this is coming out of your week, pocket. Week one, Houston Texans at the Baltimore Ravens. It's one o'clock. The Ravens are favored by ten. Yikes. The big storylines here, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens and their new look offense going up against PFF Bobby, Houston Texans. D'Amico Ryan's Houston Texans. We get to see the debut of C.J. Stroud, of Will Anderson, of Bobby Slowick as play caller, as D'Amico Ryan's as head coach. I forgot to look this one up, but the Ravens crush teams on opening day. We know their history. You know, they win like 44-3 mm. to three and all that stuff. Uh, but Ravens favored by 10 here. What are we looking for in this game? Yeah, big line. Um, you're right. There's a lot of newness to this game, to, to both sides. Completely new offense for Baltimore, which isn't just, I mean, you know, this happens every year throughout the NFL. Teams change offense. It's not a, a rare thing. But this is the first time Lamar Jackson has been in a new offense. And I think why that's interesting in particular is because Lamar had this custom-made offense tailored around his skill set, and they've basically ridden that as far as it as they felt it could go. And now made a change. Now, the question is, I mean, that just presents a very unique set of circumstances. A guy that's only ever existed in this one offense that was specifically built around him for the first few years of his career. Now he gets to play in a much more conventional, you know, NFL-style offense. What does that look like? Like, where have we reached in this narrative of Lamar Jackson and NFL offenses was he actually being held back by the fact that they never really evolved that system or sort of tried to to modify it or bring it back towards the rest of the the herd or did he need that propping up to be as special as he's been so far the other thing to keep an eye on here Ravens injuries Uh, three of their best players all questionable Mark Andrews the tight end Marlon Humphrey a corner it looks like he might be out he's listed as questionable I'm already they're already talking about replacements for him Ronnie Stanley questionable at left tackle Um, so that's something absolutely to keep an eye on here Mark Andrews has been you know their their top target their go-to guy whether Lamar was hurt or they had when 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 Lamar is in or when they had uh, you know Lamar injuries but the receivers you know the story of the Ravens offensively this year is supposed to be Odell Beckham Jr. coming in first round pick Zay Flowers to go with year three of Rashad Bateman the former first round pick they should have better receivers and again, we don't really know what this offense is going to look like. Is it going to be far fewer tight, tight formations, right, where they've got tight ends and fullbacks and they're pulling them all over the place and they're putting Lamar in space? Are they going to spread to run? I still think they use Lamar's legs, Sam. Yeah, I don't no, think we're getting away from that. <clears throat> no. I think it's going to be more spread to run. Yes. But the question is, okay, the pass concepts, are those going to fit his skill set? What's that going to look like? Are there growing pains with different offenses and how you handle blitzes those are the types of things to look for i think in week one they've been referencing you know his college offense like if you go back to what he was doing at louisville um they were running a lot of 
wide formations, uh, 11 personnel, 10 personnel, uh, spreading teams out and letting Lamar Jackson pass from the pocket. And then his running was scrambles. It wasn't like, or his running rather was design runs. It wasn't that he was this crazy scrambling quarterback that, you know, he, he wasn't playing like Michael Vick at that point. So theoretically, you know, we know what this should look like because we've seen him do it at the college level. Obviously, it's a, it's a different world doing it in the NFL, but I, I think generally in the, you know, the range of outcomes, the balance of probabilities, we should expect this to help Lamar Jackson not to drag him down or not to expose him. Uh, if Ronnie Stanley's unable to play, Patrick McCarry, uh, perhaps the backup there, he's played admirably across multiple positions for the Ravens over the last couple of years, but that could open up the door for the third overall pick in the NFL draft, Will Anderson, uh, making his NFL debut, showed some flashes in the preseason. And uh, we're big Will Anderson fans here, but we're just going to see what happens, you know, as far as all the draft capital that Houston gave up. Um, but look, I think, I think Houston looks feisty, right? Much better roster than they've had in recent years, as we mentioned in all of our preview shows. Just a matter of C.J. Stroud, how many of those uh, rookie mistakes show up here in week one? Yeah, I mean, it, it's probably a tough defense to start out with. You know, this, remember when, um, when Baker Mayfield had his start and it was like he was disastrous against like the first it was a year two um first couple of games in a new offense and it was going up against pittsburgh's defense and baltimore's defense and he was an absolute disaster in those games and then bounced back once he kind of got his feet under him um baltimore i don't think is a particularly pleasant defense to be going up against as your first nfl start for cj stroud or for pff bobby right like dialing up the offense that C.J. Stroud is going to need to succeed. So that, that's a rough start for those guys. Um, and it feels like, to me, we may – this is like prime overreaction candidate. You know, we're coming out of this game and Monday's show. Like, Houston have been absolutely waxed. They've gone nowhere on offense. And we're like, uh-oh, Stroud's terrible. Bobby's in over his head. Like, the whole thing's a disaster. But I feel like that's just – the, the risk with a, a defense like this yeah I mean look rookie quarterbacks they don't always struggle in week one I, I'm gonna have my doubts I think about Stroud and maybe Anthony Richardson right out the gate mm -hmm. um, 10 points is a lot so where are you going yeah. with this one 10 uh, Ravens favored by 10 right. I mean this is a classic example as well of you know it is it, we're still in prior season right we're still holding over draft takes we're still holding over what we thought about various things until proven otherwise you know CJ Stroud has got to battle against the relative struggles he had under pressure and outside of structure in college, coupled with, you know, the various reported sort of S2 cognition scores, all those kinds of things. There were a few things that stacked together that suggested that he's not cut out for the NFL, but working against that, you have incredible accuracy, you know, physical tools, the fact that he did it in the Georgia game, the toughest defense he faced and was at lights out under those circumstances so but this is the kind of game where you're going to be looking at that and depending on like what you thought going into it you're probably going to be swayed that way i think ultimately the game probably ends up going that way that this offense struggles week one baltimore rolls and not only do they are they good value for 10 points but they might end up 
you know, making that even worse. I'm trying not to break down every matchup in every game, but the last one to mention here, the Texans offensive line has had an overhaul just here in the preseason. So George Fant scheduled to start at right tackle. They trade for Josh Jones, who they're going to put at guard. They trade for Kendrick Green, who they have at center because of their injuries up front. Um, that could be an issue against the Ravens defensive front, not because it's the Ravens and uh, the Ravens aren't great rushing the passer, but I do think, you know, they can have success with their guys, Odafe Owe, Jadavian Clowney there, Justin Matabuike yeah. on the interior. Titus Howard to IR. Yes. Uh, so he's not going to be showing up or at least the first few games. All right, I'm taking the Ravens because, uh, in part, because they've got those weird trends, right? They don't lose in the preseason, and they dominate week one, historically. I think that's a big part of uh, my buying into the minus 10 here. Don't start laughing. We're, we're, what's your record this year? You're 0-0. Mm -hmm. You're 0-0, like mm -hmm. I am. All right? We're all tied for first <laughs> and last. Yeah. Okay? Uh -huh. Don't mock me when I make a pick now. It's a pick. whole new season. I'm mocking your logic. It's a so new season. I'm mocking your logic. Oh, okay. It's an entirely different thing. Well, wait till I drop the, you know, flying to the East Coast logic that we like to lean into a lot. Yeah. Who are you taking? Uh, Baltimore. Oh, just because? Because I think that their defense might make things very ugly for the Houston offense. All right. There we go. First pick is in the books. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals at the Cleveland Browns. Another 1 o'clock game because we're going in order here. The Bengals favored by 2.5. Joe Burrow returned to practice yesterday, Sam, the calf mm -hmm. injury. Um, there is a chance for re-injury there, I believe. But uh, just keep an eye on him when he's moving. Should be able to throw the ball. He's been, like, he's been running for quite some time. Like They've had him you know, under wraps but doing things for – quite an extended period of time i i feel like they've he's been ready for a while they just haven't been they've been deliberately cautious yeah it's good that it happened so early i think in the preseason i guess the question there is so remember last year at this time week one they played the steelers mm -hmm. and they on paper looked like a much better team than the steelers and they ended up being a much better team than the steelers at the end of the day but pittsburgh won because joe burrow threw four picks um, some were fluky, but there were four interceptions in there. There was a missed game-winning field goal. Like, weird stuff can absolutely happen. So that's part of the reason why we don't oh, overreact weird, to week Weird one. stuff happens every week It one. does. But I wonder, is Joe Burrow going to be rusty at all? Is, you know, he hasn't taken many reps mm -hmm. leading into this game. Is there going to be a rust factor? Plus, again, we, we, the Browns are one of the biggest unknowns in the NFL, yeah. in part because we don't know exactly what we're going to get from Deshaun Watson. Right. That yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not massively concerned about Joe Burrow and Russ. I think he should be able to hit the ground running and be fine. Um, the bigger thing is we don't really have any idea what this Browns team is going to be. Like they could be anywhere from terrible again to very good, very yeah. good. Um, and that's I think the big question mark. They also this is one of those weird quirks where Cleveland has been unusually successful against Joe Burrow. Like, yes, Joe Burrow, the guy who beat Patrick Mahomes three straight tries and was you know, a dumb penalty away from doing it again, can't beat the Browns, <laughs> even when the Browns haven't been good. So I was has that just been a freaky run of weird plays, or is there some reason Joe Burrow struggles against Cleveland? You're going to find me probably thinking about that yeah. when I make my pick here. I'm assuming there's no reason behind it because I can't see an obvious one, but it, so far it's been a thing. Um, one of the biggest matchups to watch, uh, Orlando Brown comes in to protect Joe Burrow, uh, not necessarily his blind side, but the left side. And uh, he's matched up, Orlando Brown, with Miles Garrett more than anybody in the NFL during his career. 
and he has not had and in just one-on-one pass blocking matchups mm. he has not had great success against miles garrett he has a loss rate of 18 percent only a handful of guys are better than that as far as garrett goes against orlando brown so you can invert you know miles garrett usually gets the better of orlando brown over time so just something to keep an eye on um, again i don't want to overreact because that happened in week one a couple of years back right that was it brown's chiefs week one and uh orlando brown got whooped by miles garrett and that ended up being the only bad game that he had pretty much that entire season but just keep an eye on that matchup in particular because they have a history and miles garrett usually gets the better of him not necessarily for sacks but for a lot of pressure yeah i mean the the cleveland defense generally i think is is an interesting thing to watch last season it was so much worse than everybody expected it to be in large part because well so this they couldn't cover anybody the the root cause of that i think is open for debate like the problem was their coverage was a disaster Um, but i think you can construct an argument that it was so bad because the only person capable of getting any pressure was Miles Garrett. And then occasionally, you know, every few games, Jadavian Clowney would show up and, and make a little bit of an impact. But generally speaking, Miles Garrett was the only guy getting pressure. Consequently, the defense was getting hung out to dry on the back end and, you know, exposed in coverage. Now it's Miles Garrett, you know, they've added. Uh, players up front, Shelby Harris coming in, Dalvin Tomlinson, Maurice Hurst, Zadarius Smith is a big one, uh, Obo Okoronkwo uh, on the edge as well, Isaiah McGuire maybe even features. Like They've got a lot of players now up front that can potentially get uh, pressure. I mean, just Zadarius Smith on his own should be a massive upgrade as a compliment to Miles Garrett and, and ensure that you can't just you know zero in on Garrett and try and take him out of the game. I think that should massively help the back end as well. Like, forget what it does for the, the the defensive front. I think that should vastly help the secondary, where they're good players there. Denzel Ward, Greg Newsom, Martin Emerson, JOK. Like, this is not a group that should have been getting lit up every single week. So I think that that defense across the board could end up being much, much better than a year ago. The on-paper, off-season effort by the Browns, I think, was excellent. Let's see how it plays out here because we might be waking up Monday morning talking about all those Browns off-season defensive line adjustments and then also saying to the Bengals, keep an eye on this one, Jonah Williams moving from the left side to the right side. We've seen NFL veterans when they're in year four or five, 13 in Donald Penn's case, if they move from the left side to the right side later in their career, the great Ali Villanueva, sometimes they struggle. So keep an eye on Jonah Williams because he'll be say, you know, he'll be seeing a little bit of Zadarius Smith, maybe Oboe, uh, maybe a moving around Miles Garrett. So that's something else to watch. At the end of the day, so I think the Bengals are a better team, mm-hmm. right? I think they're a better team. At the end of the day, I think they'll be a better team. I pick, pick them for the Super Bowl. I pick them to win the AFC North. I don't know about this week. Joe Burrow, Rust. Offensive line moving around for the Bengals. Browns, defensive line overhaul, plus Jim Schwartz, new system. They're going to be getting after Joe Burrow. Um, Bengals' hope is their playmakers, right? Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, those dudes make plays. Joe Burrow's awesome. Um, Denzel Ward, by the way, dealing with a concussion. Not sure if he's back this week or not. So, a lot to like as far as watching this game. But it is weird that the Browns have had a lot of success against the Bengals. I think I'm yeah. going to go with the Browns here covering the two and a half in part because of that history. And the huge variance as well in what you're going to get from Deshaun Watson. You know, are you going to get struggling Deshaun again or is he going to bounce back and be something like the player he was in Houston um, on the field? That's a big, that's 
may be the chief driver behind the broad range of outcomes in Cleveland. I am going to bank on the idea that this freaky run for the Browns has been freaky and the Bengals are better. So they'll win and cover. You took the Bengals? Yeah. I think the spreadsheet says otherwise. No, it doesn't. Does it? Then I misread it. Yeah, yeah, you did. Okay, great. I think as far as overreaction goes, this could be one of the biggest games to overreact to. Yeah. Whichever way. This Jets and Bills, there's a lot to overreact to in week one. You, Camp- did, what, you took the Browns. I did. Yeah. You took Cincinnati? Yes. I just misread it. Okay. My eyes are going. sure you haven't, like, misread both of them. And- no, I just uh, I just can't read. Can't believe it's been uh, seven months without an NFL game. We got one tonight, but uh, the NFL's here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving you a can't-miss offer here for week one. This week, new customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you bet just 5 bucks on any NFL game. DraftKings is hooking everyone up with the game day greatness. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every single game day this September. Check the app to see what you get. Download now and use code PFF to sign up. New customers can take home $200 in bonus bets instantly just for betting 5 bucks. That's code PFF only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. What's next on our spreadsheet here, Sam? Jacksonville Jaguars at the Indianapolis Colts. There's a lot of weird histories going on here, right? You know, the, the... the Colts can't beat the Jags at home. Is that what the – no, it's in Jacksonville. Um, Jags are favored by five here, though. We get to see the debut of Anthony Richardson. And I don't know if you've seen – you know, I try not to look too much at what other NFL media is talking about or what their opinions are because I try to, try to stay laser-focused on my own uh, analysis. But I've seen quite a few people, at least two to three, have the Jags as their number one seed in the AFC. Okay. And I saw even Pete Prisco, who's a bit of a Jags homer, former Jags beat guy. Pete picks the Jags to go to the Super Bowl and lose, but to go to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And uh, Peter King had the Jags as their number as the number one seed, and I definitely saw it a few other places. So the Jaguars coming in with the most hype they've had since 2018, back when they were coming off an AFC championship loss to the Patriots, can the Jags handle success now as the favorites for the first time in a long time? Yeah, I've been making this comparison all offseason. The Jags and the Lions are very similar to me in terms of teams that have been underdogs and now have to live life as the favorite. The Lions, I mean, this is irrelevant because the game's tonight and we've covered this. Do you know when the last time they were favored for that division was going into a season? The last time the Lions were favored in the division, probably 1992. Correct. Do you know when the last time they won the division was? Was it 91? When they, no, they, it was the 1980s sometime. Really? I forget so, whether it was 82 or 83, but like... Didn't 91 they have... Uh, I thought they had a bye or something. They went in... They made the, a, the NFC Championship in 91, I believe, right? Lost sure. to Washington. I got the first part, right? You did. Thanks well for done. the but, I mean, that's, trivia. It's a no, it's time. a long time. 20 years. It's a long time. Things are different in Detroit going into the right. season here. And, and Jacksonville now, it's the same idea. Like, it's one thing to surprise people when nobody really saw you coming. Now, as you say, several people, at least two or three, several. are claiming that they're one of the best teams in the AFC right. in a loaded conference. So it's a, it's a different thing. Like, it's a different mindset. And not only that, but I think, I think there was a real tangible difference that – it's harder, right? Like when you are an underdog, not only do 
people not necessarily uh, treat you seriously. Like you get the benefit of the fact that they're not necessarily giving you their A game. Like, they're not focusing on that game, you know, going, we got to beat this team because, you know, you're expected to win against them. Um, and you get to foster that siege mentality. It's us against the world. Nobody thinks we're good. You know, you can, you can build on that psychologically. That flips 180 degrees when you're the favorite. Now, everyone else is trying to beat you because you're supposed to be better than they are. And you can, you know, foster the siege mentality of it's us against them. Nobody thinks we can do anything because you got Peter King out there putting you in the Super Bowl or whatever. So I think there's a real thing to it being harder to win and certainly harder to win long term as a favorite because everything works against you. So this is what Jacksonville have to battle. But... They are favorites for a reason. I mean, certainly in this game, you know, Trevor Lawrence versus a rookie week one, Anthony Richardson, should be no contest in terms of quarterback performance. Um, I think Jacksonville's offense was cooking late last season. Basically, if they can pick up where they left off, you know, they should be comfortably the better team. Where they left off was was interesting, though, because depending on which way you look at it, Trevor Lawrence, as we've mentioned a few times here in the show throughout the summer, number two or three graded quarterback after week nine. So he went on this run where he was playing at a high level. They also had that weird game where they beat the Titans, Josh Dobbs Titans, mm -hmm. to win the division. And they didn't even pick up a fourth down in the fourth quarter. They had a defensive touchdown to win it. The offense wasn't great right. then. The offense was terrible the first half against the Chargers, and then they figured it out in the second half. What I'm looking for this year, I expect great play from Trevor Lawrence or you know high-end top five to eight quarterback play. I need to see that consistency from start to finish from Trevor Lawrence in this passing offense. To me, the big mismatch, though, is my, my fascination with the Colts' cornerback depth chart and the fact that they've, they're just big, long, and athletic with no NFL experience and below par college production. Like Those are the guys that they're rolling out there at corner in Indianapolis. It kind of feels like – and I'm not saying it's not going to work. It just feels like those... But it probably won't work. <laughs> I, I, look, I, we, I'm trying to think back through the, through the archives of uh, history. Like the 2019 49ers went to the Super Bowl. But before the season, they looked like they had the worst cornerback room. And they took a flyer on Richard Sherman, and it worked. Right? They developed players. But this looks like uh, Legion of Boom, early Seahawks. We, you know, everybody's zigging and we're zagging. We've got a whole different type. We're going to look at these corners completely different than everyone else. So we've got Daryl Baker Jr. and Dallas Flowers and two rookies, Jalen Jones in the seventh round, Juju Brents in the second round. Juju had a lot of hype around the draft. Mm -hmm. But those are the guys trying to ca cover Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk and company, Evan Ingram when he lines up out wide. That's the biggest mismatch in this game, and I think the Jags are going to exploit it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't dislike the Colts roster overall, but I feel like it's working towards something, and this is like step one of the road, and step one doesn't tend to go that well, you know what I mean? It's, it's going to take a while for this to come together. Like the Anthony Richardson thing, I, I applaud the pick. Like I think it's the right move in this landscape of – the AFC and the, the number of elite quarterbacks in, in today's NFL, take a shot on Anthony Richardson, particularly when you have a coach like Shane Steichen who's kind of done this, um, you know, this run with Jalen Hurts already. It's the right thing to do, but it doesn't mean it's going to work week one. Like This is going to take – this is going to be a, a grind for a while. Um, so I think – and I think that's true for the defense as well. Like you look at these athletes that they've assembled there, this kind of collection of potential playmakers – I just don't think that's coming together right away. 
it's going to take a little bit of time. We get to see Anthony Richardson, how, how often they're going to run the ball in Indianapolis, how, you know, if the offensive line is better than last year, we anticipate it to be that way. Um, I like the Jags, though. They're on the road. They're in the Dome, and I think, they're, uh, I think the Jags' pass game is going to work well here. In the Dome, I think they'll cover the five. Yeah. Uh, did I choose that? I think you I took, agree. You took the Jags as well. Yep. Uh, next up, Carolina Panthers at the Atlanta Falcons division matchup. Another division matchup. That's uh, three in a row here that we've covered. Uh, Falcons are favored by three and a half. We get to see Bryce Young's debut. So it's going to be four uh, as well when we go back into the, uh, the NFC Central. It's going to be what? Four when we go into the NFC Central. Oh, the, the NFC Central. Game. Yeah, the Bucks vikings game. Uh, Panthers-Falcons here. What are you looking for in this one? Um, I mean, obviously... I think the most, well, maybe the most interesting story is, you know, Bryce Young, in particularly with behind that offensive line that has looked pretty creaky in, uh, in preseason. Now, you know, we know preseason doesn't necessarily mean anything, but that offensive line has looked problematic during preseason. Does that hold during the regular season, or do they suddenly, like, get their crap together once they realize this is real and we need to protect the, uh, the quarterback, the rookie quarterback behind us? So... That's the first thing. Like, does this offense look like it can work with the pass protection that they currently have set up and the receivers that they have? Remember, you know, it's it's the the declining version of Adam Thielen. It's a bunch of guys that haven't really developed yet, and it's Jonathan Mingo, a rookie who has a lot of physical talent but went uh, in the second round and had a couple of mental mistakes in preseason. So does the Carolina offense function, I think, is question one. And then question two is, you know, what does this new look Atlanta team look like? They keep adding freakish mismatch playmakers, but they're relying on Desmond Ritter to kind of operate it all on offense. And then just the weight of, just the volume of turnover um, or additions rather that they've had on defense is is going to be fascinating. Like, can that come together quickly or is that going to take some time to gel? Get to see Bijan Robinson and his usage. We talked about Jameer Gibbs yesterday and how the Lions were, will have this incredible plan for Jameer Gibbs and how they're going to move him all over the place. The The Falcons kind of promised something similar with Bijan Robinson or at least hinted at, hey, he's got that type of skill set. Are we yeah. going to see him lined up out wide? Uh, because Bijan's not the only running back there and we know that Tyler Algier and Cordero Patterson have had a lot of success running the ball in that system. Does Bijan, do they have a lot of... Uh, two running back type of sets where they're creating misdirection and confusion for the defense. So there's a lot of fun stuff to watch here, I think, schematically. Uh, one more point I want to bring up here. I was doing a little research recently on uh, run game mm-hmm. and defensive tackles <coughs> and found that Derek Brown, who's been um, quietly very good at defensive tackle for the Panthers, he is the best in the league as a nose tackle taken on double teams. We got this hmm. you know, deep data here. And he did a really nice job against the Falcons last year. The Panthers did a nice job against the Falcons in their run game relative to other teams. So just something to keep an eye on. They also brought in uh, Deshaun Williams from the Broncos. Hasn't really graded well for us, but has graded well against double teams, against the outside zone, double team type of stuff that the Falcons are going to do. So the Panthers might be equipped up front to slow down the Falcons' run game as they did in, um, for the better part of both of their matchups last year. Mm-hmm. Just data points and fun stuff. Um, figure out what we get. Now you got to deal with Bijan, though. But they got Bijan. Doesn't even matter if you block it up. Um, Falcons' offensive line was much better last year in part because they run this outside zone scheme. It played to all their strengths. Um, Desmond Ritter, we get to see what he is in year two. I do think, though, that the 
Like, yeah, the Panthers or the the Falcons' offensive line was an awful lot better last season, and absolutely helped out by the offense, um, which is going to be the same, if not better, like more potent. So theoretically, that boost should still be there. But I do think we're overlooking a little bit, or it's generally being overlooked. Like the idea that last season was kind of their baseline. I mean, Caleb McGarry went from liability at right tackle to playing really well within that system. And we've seen that before with certain offensive tackles, you know, in the right offense where they're being protected a lot. But it also doesn't mean that that's going to be his level in this offense. Like he might have just had an amazingly good year last year and is primed to take a step back regardless of the fact that the offensive system remains the same. The interior, Chris Lindstrom is a great guard, I think, in any system. But the, the center-left guard pairing of, of Drew Dahlman, Matthew Bergeron, the rookie, I mean, we don't know if that's particularly good. So the system's great. It'll, it protects an offensive line generally. But it's still not that, you know, the, the personnel is not that great for this Atlanta offensive line. You could definitely see it taking a step back. Uh, Brian Burns, the biggest name player on the Carolina Panthers, he sat out practice early in the week. Then he came back in practice. He wants a, he wants a contract. Again, I was, I was grinding the film on last year's matchup here, Sam. Brian Burns, he's not good against the run. He is not great in this type of matchup. You know, yeah. blown gaps and just he's not <clears throat> sturdy against the run. He's not as good as Nick Bosa, who just, you know, broke the bank from a contract standpoint. He's not as good as some of those other edge defenders as far as every down player goes, but Burns is an explosive pass rusher. It's not the type of game where he has the biggest impact. I think he'll play, but it's one of the stories where he's looking for a contract and you know, playing some games here with the, the final story, of course, is just how will Arthur Smith find or just what ways will he find to anger every Kyle Pitts fantasy owner? In the oh, world. yeah, of course. You know, how many different ways will he find to take him off the field or to simply not use him in favor of, you know, Michael Pruitt or a John U. Smith? I mean, look, I, when you're building the receiving core, Drake London as your number one big dude, yak ability, works the middle of the field. Uh, Kyle Pitts as your tight end, who could do, you know, be an absolute mismatch weapon. Mm-hmm. Mac Hollins, who I've, I've always loved, but, you know, has started to show some of those skills as a nice complementary piece. And even having a Scotty Miller as just a, a deep threat. Like, they have the ability to take shots, to have a possession game, to have mismatches. I, I just don't know if they're going to throw the ball more than 20 times. So we'll see. I also want to see if they do what you suggested, run Desmond Ritter mm. a little bit more. Um I think Carolina's going to keep it close, uh, in part because of the matchups that I said. Derek Brown in the middle and how they handled things last year. Carolina's front seven. So I'm going to take Carolina to, to cover the three and a half. Okay. I'm going to buy into the Falcons. I was a little bit worried by that Carolina offense in preseason. Um, and unless they turn it around quickly, I think they might struggle. All right, as you mentioned, NFC Central battle here. Tampa Bay Bucks at the Minnesota Vikings. We have uh, Warren Sapp in the, the Bucks defense going up against Randy Moss and the Vikings. And Brad Johnson. And Brad Johnson mm. running the show, a little revenge game. That was the, uh, the Randy Moss, the, the debut unleashed upon the NFL. Catching against, a couple against of touchdowns against Tampa Bay. Yeah. 1998, man. Chris Carter also got his 90th and 91st touchdown in that game. I might fire that game up to watch. Tony Dungy, you know, new Bucks. Former Vikings, new Bucks head coach, just gets blitzed by this '98 Vikings offense. And then, who knew? A couple of years time, the Bucks would be, you know, best defense, one of the best defenses in NFL history, Super Bowl champion, all good. But and here, and here we are instead in 2023. It's Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. Kirk Cousins and the Vikings, mm-hmm. favored by six against the Bucks. 
Bucks' first game without Tom Brady in a few years, Baker Mayfield taking over, new offensive system, Dave Canales running the show as offensive coordinator. They ran more play action than any team in the league in the preseason, the opposite of what they had done with Byron Leftwich. So it looks like the Bucks are going to, you know. Maybe he looks at numbers. Yeah, do some stuff. They're going to do some stuff to, to help their quarterback. Will it be enough? Uh, in this game Minnesota by six because yeah the Bucs look like they're in the middle of a rebuild because of that quarterback situation yeah um reasonably so I mean you know obviously anytime you're dealing with a Baker Mayfield team there's a massive stretch of variance with what you're going to get there we know Baker's capable of good play we haven't necessarily seen it for a while he's also capable of some pretty ugly play and if that happens the offense is in trouble um Minnesota's defense I think is going to be I think it's the thing to watch, really. Like, we're all focusing on the offense because it's actually good, but the fact that the defense is so wildly unknown to me is the more interesting aspect of that. Like, you're dealing with, I mean, Donnell Hunter's back. Marcus Davenport is there that they brought in in that sort of one-year prove-it deal. The interior is not particularly strong-looking. The cornerback situation, Byron Murphy they bring over in free agency, Mackay Blackman, the rookie, uh, Caleb Evans has sort of overcome Andrew Booth to be the other, uh, the starter. The safeties, I mean, uh, Kwesi's first two draft picks, Andrew Booth Jr. and Lewis Seen, neither of them are starting at the moment. And if anything, they're heading in the wrong direction on the depth chart. Um, And then you've got Ivan Pace Jr. potentially starting, (laughs) anchoring the middle of the, the defense at linebacker. Like, this is a fascinating group with a new scheme and new defensive coordinator and yeah. Brian Flores and, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, like I, the offense is interesting because it's actually good. There's some decent players there, and we know, broadly speaking, what to expect. But I think the defense is actually the thing to watch. Like, how is this group going to work, and what's it going to look like? The football nerd in me is really interested in the Vikings defense because of a lot of things you said. The youth, the unknowns, and the usage pattern. It does feel like they have a whole lot of players like an Ivan Pace who are good at one thing. Like Ivan Pace, is, a, he's probably going to step in and be one of the best blitzing linebackers in the NFL. You know, that's like a, a tenth of what you do, though, right. as a linebacker, maybe a little bit more in Brian <coughs> Flores' scheme. Kiaris Tonga playing nose tackle. He's good at just playing the run. Like they have a one, you know, one-trick run-stopping nose tackle. Danell Hunter and Marcus Davenport, usually they're really they're, – they're, that's a good edge rush duo, but usually in Brian Flores' scheme – one of those guys has to play strong side, drop into coverage. Neither of those guys has done that. Um, and then Flores' scheme plays a lot of man coverage. And same thing I said about the Colts' corners. The outside corners for the Vikings have zero experience or zero track record of NFL success historically. That's the matchup, I think, in this game against the Bucks. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, even though Godwin will move around, the Bucks have that advantage, right? And then it's like, hey, can Baker Mayfield hit some of those open throws? I think Evans and Godwin will get open and probably keep it close for the Bucs. I like the Vikings overall, but six might feel like a lot to me. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Minnesota's offense should have quite a lot of success. Um, that Tampa Bay defense, like the Tampa Bay team on both sides of the ball, it's, it's okay, it's fine, but there's weaknesses kind of across the board, and those are the weaknesses that are papered over when you have Tom Brady you know, or an elite quarterback to, to make it kind of go away. But they tend to get exposed when Tom Brady's not there and Baker Mayfield is. Um, So I think Minnesota's offense probably rolls. And then I kind of like the Vikings defense to be able to keep it just just close enough. Or, you know, Mayfield to just turn it over a few times. And that's how Minnesota rolls. I mentioned the 
the X's and O's part of it too. The Vikings team building strategy, they just paid TJ Hawkinson a tight end, massive contract. In this offseason, they paid Josh Oliver, a backup tight end, $7 million a year mm-hmm. uh, for a couple of years here. Uh, Oliver's a very good run blocker. Hawkinson, more of the receiver, want to see how they use those guys tactically. Um, but again, I think the reason why I'm high on the Vikings is because of that offense. Justin Jefferson looks like the best receiver in the league. Once again, Cousins is good. And look, I like the Vikings to win. I just, I think the, I think the bike Bucks are going to be a little feisty this year. Feisty. Feisty. Yeah. So I'm going to take the Bucks to cover, in part because of the secondary matchup there that the Bucks have. Yeah. Bucks I'm, to cover, I like the uh, Vikings to win, though, a close game. Yeah, I'm taking the Vikings, though, anytime. I mean, Minnesota minus six is a big number. I don't like that, but I'm going to lean that direction anyway. All right, Tennessee Titans at the New Orleans Saints. Uh, a couple more 1 o'clock games to go through here. I got the, the YouTube TV. We're gonna, the the four-box mix for YouTube TV should work pretty well for these yeah, but I, I don't have think two you can, TVs. You can't choose the mix, right? You're just stuck with what YouTube decides. As of now, I assume you know because I'm a I'm a product manager for software here, Sam. Yeah. I assume somewhere in the queue here, they have that well, to develop. Since you have that expertise, is that a technical challenge to allow like a, an unlimited, you know, uh, an unlimited combination of? games to choose i assume it is on the, the one level? thing i don't know about youtube tv not to go off the rails here i don't know if you can take the network game and drop it into like um uh, sunday ticket games right so it, whatever your cbs game is of the week can you, will that be a part of the four box mix I, I hope it will be but i got two tvs side by side we'll have four and four that should cover everything. I just and then an extra screen for like red zone, or if there's a ninth or tenth game, sometimes in the one o'clock window, you throw it on the extra screen. I, I think I've got the setup. I'm a little concerned though about not being able to pick. Which you ever games see? I want. You ever see that um, chart that sort of? It's like every sci-fi movie ever and the year that it was set in. You know, and it's like you are here, and we're like almost at Blade Runner or whatever, and you sort of realize what a joke that actual human development has been relative to where people thought we were going to go with flying cars and you know all this kind of stuff it's 2023 now right yeah it really feels like we should be in a world where i can just watch all the damn football games i don't all of them just put them all on the screen and let me watch them all i'm paying for it i've coughed up whatever it is 260 dollars to watch my sunday ticket just put all the damn games on the screen why is that so hard that's all i want that's all I want. That's all we want. Yes. Let us pick the games. Let it, us. Pick it the really games. feels like we should be there by now. Anyway, Titans and Saints. And uh, Saints are favored by three here. We get the new look Saints offense. Derek Carr coming in. Michael Thomas coming back. And uh, the Tennessee Titans coming off an offseason where they were half rebuilding and half retooling and uh, staying competitive. And uh, Traylon Burks was back at practice this week. Kind of a key player here, year two wide receiver to pair with DeAndre Hopkins. Ryan Tannehill still there. Derrick Henry back and healthy. What are you looking for in this one? Yeah, I mean, that's an important um, aspect for them. I, I do think that DeAndre Hopkins, New Hopkins, can still really play and really be effective. Um, but I do think he also needs somebody that can scare defenses vertically. Like, he can't really do that anymore. Like, teams are not afraid of getting up in his face and pressing him at the line and riding him down the sideline. Now, he might make some of those plays at the catch point anyway, but you need someone that can scare a defense back and back them off so that you have some of that space underneath. It's not going to be Hopkins. It might be Traylon Burks. So that is a big development uh, for them. 
you know, we know the narrative on Tennessee is going to stay the same. They overachieve relative to their roster. The Saints, though, I mean, Michael Thomas is coming back again for the 15th time in a row. Um, and look, it, it may only last a couple of weeks, you know, before he breaks something else and he's done forever. But you probably at least get a week. And if you get a week of Michael Thomas, <laughs> that whole offense is fun. Is that your analysis? We're going to get at least a week of Michael Seriously, Thomas. Seriously, though. Like, even if the whole thing blows up yeah. and Michael Thomas gets injured again and, we, you know, he lasts 58 snaps, right? And, and that's it. Done. Oh, well. I told you so. Everyone's going to be saying. I knew he was a crock. It was never going to happen. But, but that's enough. That's this game. So if you get, I mean, if this is what this looks like, Derek Carr behind a decent offensive line thrown to Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Rashid Shahid, Jawan Johnson, you know, that's, that's a potent offense. I like all those roles, man, because we've talked a million times about Shahid as a legitimate deep threat. Michael Thomas as your possession guy. I think Olave is a wide receiver one, you know, top 10 to 15 type of receiver in the NFL. Um, and then Juwan Johnson, a former receiver, turned tight end who can stretch the seam. And Jimmy Graham even as a red zone basketball player. Jimmy Graham made more good plays this preseason than he did his last four years in the NFL. Just saying. That's not difficult. If he's rejuvenated. Um, all of those weapons for Derek Carr. And look, when Derek Carr's had his alpha-type receiver and a deep threat, he's had a lot, a lot of success. I think he's set up to have a good season, Derek Carr. Oh, yeah, I agree. I don't think Jimmy Graham's going to be a part of it, but... Yes. I'll throw Jimmy Graham in. And oh, Taysom Hill. I forgot to include Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill. Now, here's what's interesting. When, Still listed as a quarterback, by the way. That's for the third QB purposes, right? The extra roster spot. Uh, if you call him a, a quarterback, he could be your third quarterback. You steal a roster spot, I believe. I don't think you steal one. So they've, they, re, they put out the, the kind of redone rules of that thing. It doesn't seem to actually do anything. Other it than, looks nothing. It looks like yeah, nothing's changed except you just you, you can, just have to carry that guy on a roster now yeah, in order to use it. him. But you can't use him if it gets there. I will say this: the Taysom Hill package in the red zone. I was not a huge fan of it when Drew Brees was the quarterback because I thought, hey, Drew Brees is still your best <laughs> red zone weapon because he can throw and run play right. action and everything. Derek Carr has had some red zone struggles, right? Mm -hmm. This you know fourth down throwaways and different things. You know, so. This could be a nice pairing to use Taysom Hill in the tight red zone uh, for Derek Carr in particular. Just something to keep an eye on. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll be watching the Saints' defensive front. We've talked a lot about that this summer. They're young. They need their former first-round picks, Peyton Turner, current first-round pick, Brian Brzee, second-round pick, Isaiah Foskey. They need those guys to step up as they've had a lot of turnover there. And against the Titans' offensive line, they could have some success at least rushing the passer. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. Like the, I'm I'm going to be interested to see what Tennessee's defense generally can look like um, because they've they've sort of retooled that group certainly up front quite a lot. Um, and Arden Key is one of the most interesting players on it to me because we've talked about it plenty. Like he failed, I guess, initially in his NFL career as one of these lightweight edge rushers, then put on some weight became a really useful situational rusher. And now the Titans are saying, all right, let's see if he can go back to being a full-time player. And it still works. You add that, obviously, Jeffrey Simmons is the, the alpha in that group. Um, but they've got some other useful players as well. And Harold Landry returning. Harold Landry, I think, was 
potentially always a little bit overrated in terms of he got a lot of pressure. He also never came off the field, so it took him a thousand snaps to get the pressure total that he got. But the pressure itself is valuable. Like getting, you know, 60-something pressures over a season is worthwhile. It is useful. It's just not necessarily as good as it looks when you're playing a thousand snaps to do it. So, you know, this Titans defense, they can get pressure up front. They can probably stop the run. Um, the back end, you know, adding guys like Sean Murphy Bunting, Roger McCreary, I think, could be a really useful player for them. He sort of typifies that feistiness at corner. Um, and it was always that way, even in college. So the defense, I think, is primed to do what it usually does, which is sort of overachieve with the coaching staff that they have. I'm trying not to overreact to the Titans' collapse at the end of last season. I don't want to overreact to it. The, I mean, the big and thing I, is I their like offensive New Orleans, line, though. But yeah, go ahead. The big thing is their offensive line. Like that defense will probably overachieve, you know, relative to the talent level. We expect that. Ryan Tannehill is still a good player. Derrick Henry is still a good player. Now he's got Taji Spears behind him. Um, Traylon Burks, DeAndre Hopkins. Like they've got receivers that can play. None of it matters if that offensive line is still the worst unit in the NFL, which it was a year ago. They've massively overhauled it. Andre Dillard comes in. Um, Peter Skoronsky in the draft comes in. Like. It's going to be a sequence of new starters, but most of those new starters are wildly unproven. Like, we think Peter Skaronsky is maybe the best offensive lineman in the entire draft, but he's now starting at guard in the NFL. It's a different thing, right? Peter Skaronsky could easily suck year one. We don't know. He could be good, but it's absolutely within his range of outcomes to not be good. Um, Andre Dillard never worked at left tackle in the NFL. Now, he didn't get that much opportunity, and he quite quickly lost his job to uh, Jordan Mailata, which, you know, itself is a fairly significant red flag. Like, first-rounder loses out to a seventh-round rugby player that had never really played the game before. That's not great. Um, but Mailata's really good, so we know that. He now. is, yeah, but but at some point, like, that, that's not a change that gets made just because the guy ends up being really good. Like, you need the first guy... The first-round pick is given every opportunity to not have that happen. So for it to happen means, in addition to Mylata being really good, Dillard must have been terrible. Um, so Dillard is now coming in. He's got to be their left tackle again. So I'm just saying they've made a lot of changes, and the chances are, given where they were coming from, it's going to be better because it would be difficult to be worse. But, it, I mean, there's a lot of potential for that group to still be a problem. All right. So uh, as far as picking the game, Saints are favored by three. All that said about the Titans O-line, I kind of like them in this game. I like the Saints, but I like the Titans here in week one to uh, as three-point underdogs. Hmm. I am buying into New Orleans for at least a week. For at least a week. At least until Michael Thomas goes down again. Oh, man. He should be drinking AG1. Our next partner, that would keep him healthy. The daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. We drink it every single day over here on the PFF NFL podcast. Had to give it a try because I was looking for something, Sam. I was looking for something to get my nutrients on a daily basis. And AG1 is absolutely perfect. Drink it in the morning, you know, to start my day. Kick things off. Add a little energy to go with my coffee here. So it's, uh, it's good for my body. And uh, I need it given the uh, questionable diet that I have every single day. Where I'm not eating enough vegetables. No. Not eating enough fruit. Yeah, it's often a lot easier to uh, to get a ton of nutrients right in, in a drink at the start of the morning than it is to, you know, pound broccoli for the majority of the day. So just like great athletes, 
who take care of their bodies, we have to take care of our bodies too. A lot of them drink AG1. That's why I'm a huge fan with every daily serving. We're just setting ourselves up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give us the daily nutrients to support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. Just covering those nutritional bases to kick off the day. And I love that it's only less than $3 a day to make it work. It's a really effective daily habit with high-quality sourced ingredients. It's a win-win for everyone here on the PFF NFL Podcast. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1, the number one, dot com slash PFF. Go check it out right now. All right, man, we got the 49ers and the Steelers in Pittsburgh. Another one o'clock game. We get the West Coast travel to the East Coast here, Sam. We do? Is this the first one of those? Yeah. Uh, I think so. Uh, 49ers at the Steelers. Niners are favored by two and a half. Yesterday, Nick Bosa signed his contract. Weren't sure if he was going to be around for the game. Biggest contract in defensive player history. Mm -hmm. QB type money because, you know, the Niners aren't paying a QB QB money anymore. So they could do that. Um, Niners favored by two and a half. Uh, One of the best week one matchups here, perhaps, because of all the hype for both teams. A lot of people think... Niners are going back to the NFC Championship, and the Steelers are the up-and-coming darlings around yeah. NFL media. I guess it depends how, yeah, how how much you buy into the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, I I'm starting to buy into them quite a bit. Uh, I real, I mean, look again, preseason, who knows? But in training camp and preseason, that first team Pittsburgh Steelers offense has looked spectacular. I mean, Kenny Pickett has been virtually flawless. We asked the question, you know, is it actually a good thing? when your quarterback doesn't throw any interceptions in training camp? Well, to be determined, but when he then goes and shows up in the preseason games and, like, every time he gets the ball, it's almost an instant touchdown, it's probably good. So that offense has the the capacity to be very, very good. Kenny Pickett looks great. Deontay Johnson, George Pickens both look spectacular. Allen Robinson, who knows what he's going to bring to the table, but it's a great, you know, roll of the dice. Najee Harris, Jalen Warren bringing some speed to the table, Fryermuth, Darnell Washington, and an offensive line that's been slowly but steadily moving in the right direction over the last few years. Like, that offense could be really good. I, I, I like the teams where you can name all those playmakers, and it's, uh, and it's good. And they're varied as well. They're not, you know, all of one style. They're not all of one particular type of player. I didn't even mention Calvin Austin, who's making a bunch of plays in preseason as a returner or in the offense. Like, that's a very well-rounded and versatile group of playmakers. I do hope that they look at Calvin Austin as their as their deep guy, their shot their shot player, not just he's small, put him in the slot. I mean, put him outside and let him be that number four that gets two to three shots per game, and all you have to do is hit one of them for it to be a massive impact every single week. There's a good chance they do simply because, I mean, who else has that skill set within the offense, you know, like that – Deontay Johnson isn't really that type of player. Allen Robinson certainly isn't. George Pickens certainly isn't. Like Calvin Austin brings that lightning quick and blazing speed to the table that nobody else really has in that offense other than, you know, Jalen Warren maybe in the backfield, but, you know, you're not lining him out wide. All right, sticking on that side of the ball, the Steelers' offensive line, Dan Moore still scheduled to start at left tackle. Mm-hmm. Fought off uh, first-round pick Broderick Jones. Both of the tackles have been a little bit weaker for the Steelers. Dan Moore and uh, a core four on the other side against this 49ers pass rush. The Niners get to unveil Javon Hargrave on the interior, but Nick Bosa coming back, of course. Eric Armstead's there. Uh, your guy, Drake Jackson. Cleveland Furl 
is there as well. Burl. So uh, that's going to be a challenge, I think, for the Steelers up front for an offensive line that continues to look better and better every single year, but I think there's still questions at tackle in particular. It is interesting that they haven't started Broderick Jones yet. You know, they're I mean, almost every team that drafts a, an offensive lineman in the first round is throwing that guy straight in somewhere, even if it's not necessarily the position they want him playing right away. The Steelers have said, no, we're, we're comfortable enough with the starting tackles we have to at least bring him along slower than that. Now, maybe that'll only last a couple of weeks. Maybe. I think Dan Moore had a good camp, but he was a, he's been a below-average tackle for two years. Yeah, It's that balance of usually in year three or four, the linemen get better versus mm-hmm. um, you know throwing the rookie in there. Right, so. and I, I mean, I think he'll be starting sooner rather than later. But it's, it's interesting that they've decided already, you know, after preseason training camp to, to not rush him in there and they don't need to start him week one. Um, other thing to keep an eye on the other side of the ball. So you've got two new corners in Pittsburgh, Joey Porter Jr. as a rookie, Patrick Peterson coming in, what, year 12 or 13 for him. How are they going to cover all of these Niners playmakers? Niners, mm-hmm. when those playmakers are all healthy, is there a more difficult cover in the NFL than Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, and, Kyle, and, and Christian McCaffrey with Kyle Shanahan calling the shots? I'm looking forward to seeing a full season now of – all those guys playing together and how they lean into Christian McCaffrey and his versatility as well. Yeah, and, and just how this defense generally tries to match up with that Kyle Shanahan 49ers offense with all those unique playmakers and you know what they can do. I mean, that's, that's an extremely difficult thing for any team in the NFL. Um, the Steelers are going to get first crack at it. Cameron Hayward has been questionable, but I think probably ends up playing. That's huge for them. T.J. Watt is... Their most important player, I think, on defense, but Hayward is probably number two. If if he's not there, that's a that's a real a real loss for them. But T.J. Watt also a massive potential difference maker himself. I mean, we know on off splits for defensive players are very noisy, but the ones for Pittsburgh tend to be pretty stark. And T.J. Watt's had a lot of injuries to to prove it either way. The second he's not on the field, it's a massive difference. And He's going up against Colton McKivitz, yes. who's stepping in. You know, Mike uh, McGlinchey moves on. McKivitz, a potential weak spot on that offensive line, going to get tested hard right away going up against as good as it gets in T.J. Watt. That is my matchup to watch there. McKivitz against T.J. Watt. Um, there's a lot of those. Uh, they, the tweet was out there yesterday, Nick Bosa, the Niners with and without Nick Bosa right. and how often they win. The Steelers can do that with and without T.J. Watt. I mean, there's a, there's a, the, the Niners with Christian McCaffrey and Brock Purdy, you know, only lost, what, one game. So something's got to give this weekend. There's a lot of you know, both sides feeling pretty good about their health, their best players being available. It's uh, Niners by three and a half. Again, just to remember and remind people, why we will not overreact to week one. Like, we will, but we won't deep down. Last year, in week one, the Bears beat the 49ers. The Bears, who finished with three wins. Mm-hmm. The 49ers, who were a game away from the Super Bowl. Who were they, 2-1? and one? <laughs> The Bears were 2-1. and one. Now, yeah. it, there was a, it was a rainstorm in Chicago. Yeah. And uh, Trey Lance was starting for the oh, Niners. Was it the, the, no, that wasn't the Cyclone bomb thing or whatever it was. That no, was, that was Niners-Colts yeah. on Sunday Night Football two years ago. Right. Carson Wentz in there um, but just saying week one last year the Niners lost 
to the Bears. Does sure. is that a factor at all this year? Is that a, you know week one trend? Is it you know any of that stuff? But I mean, I think it's just week one weirdness. Yeah, like, I'm just I, I want to remind people when we're overreacting Sunday night and Monday morning that those things happened like, last year. When I when we did our predictions, you know, my general ethos was you pick the most likely thing to happen across the board, and you're probably going to end up reasonably well. Week one is almost the week where you don't do that. Like that's the worst possible approach because the most likely thing to happen does not happen in week one. Week one is weird. Several weird things will happen in week one. So if you're just picking, yeah, this is, this is where the odds tell me to go. You're going you're gonna to be terrible. So I'm going to, for week one, I like the Niners. I think they'll be good. I'm going to take Pittsburgh. I'm going to buy into the Pittsburgh hype okay. here in week one. Yeah, I'm buying the Getting Steelers two and as well. and a half at home. I like, I mean, TJ Watt versus McKivitz. I also think Hayward, if he's playing, going up against the interior of that 49ers offensive line, which looks like a weakness as well. I mean, that's two spots up front where Pittsburgh, I think, has a big advantage. That's how you disrupt that 49ers offense. Like, forget trying to cover the, the uncoverable playmakers they have. Let's wreck shop right up front and make it so that they can't exploit those uh, potential wins on the outside. So... Yeah, I'm going Pittsburgh. All right, it's time for the second biggest spread of the week, Sam. Mm. The Arizona Cardinals at the Washington Commanders. It's seven. Commanders by seven. Yikes. What are Cardinals spreads going to look like this year, man? We're going to be getting up into three to four touchdowns. Yeah. The Commanders have a second-year fifth-round quarterback with one start, and their top receiver is injured and is a probably a game time type of decision and the commanders are still favored by seven <laughs> yeah it's not great bob against any other team that it's a double digit spread for the rest of the year yeah it's not a knock on the commanders it's just like seven like the commanders aren't going to be favored by seven very often so josh dobbs gets the start for the arizona cardinals over rookie fifth rounder clayton tune this is the second time in like two years that somebody has basically brought in Josh Dobbs, like thrown him right in there as a starter. Now, it's slightly, a little bit more time for the Cardinals. Remember, like Titans, Titans took a five-minute look at Malik Willis and went, oh, hell no. Grab Josh Dobbs and put him in next week. That's better. Josh Dobbs is the, the rent-a-starter, man. Rent-a-QB. Right. Um, and there's a connection there, right, with the new coaching staff in Arizona, which is, I think, why they've done it. But still... Josh Dobbs being grabbed and thrown in there as a starter feels like a capitulation and, uh, you know, a surrender flag. And a, we, are, we are ensuring that our draft pick is as strong as possible. Like, this is how you tank. This is how you, you don't do it by going out there and saying, guys, we're trying to lose this game. You do it by saying our quarterback is Josh Dobbs and there's no better option. Good luck. Like, that's how you tank. And that's what the Cardinals are doing. I appreciate the listeners and viewers who tagged us to uh, make sure that we saw that the Barbarian, Dennis Gardeck, captain, has been named captain mm-hmm. for the Arizona Cardinals, and rightfully so. I mean, how could you not name somebody nicknamed the Barbarian as a captain? Right, so I appreciate the people that pointed that out for us, but uh, yeah, Arizona's, Arizona's in transition. You see the way, uh, so Dion at Colorado, they don't have C for captain. He has L for leader and B for baller, I think, are the two, the two letters that he gives, he assigns to players. I feel like the barbarian should have just B. Just for barbarian? Right. Like there's four or five C's, you know, for captain, and then Dennis gets B. He's the barbarian. Barbarian. I love it. 
I don't know if the Barbarian's enough to cover the seven <laughs> against Washington. Uh, so we get to see year two of, of Sam Howell here. Uh, mentioned Terry McLaurin dealing with that turf toe injury, but even without him, Jahan Dotson uh, did some really nice things as a rookie, looking pretty good. Um, yeah, what else to look for in this game? If if Dobbs, if the quarterback for Arizona was Clayton Toon, does the does the line move? And if so, which direction? No, because he's an he's an unproven rookie. Dobbs isn't bad. Like he's a he was reasonable in uh, what a game and a half for Tennessee. He was reasonable. He's not bad. He's like any of those other bad quarterbacks. No, just you know, starter thirty-two, starter forty, starter forty-five in the NFL in a one-week setting. Can they be like they're not? He's not income. There's there's a few guys that have been thrown out there through the years who had zero chance. Yeah, uh, Duck a couple of years ago. Duck. Ben DiNucci. better than Josh Allen. I heard once they were. Yeah, you know, please don't don't tag us on that stuff. Some other person said that. Mm-hmm. Those guys had no shot. No. Right? Like, Josh Dobbs can run an offense and be reasonable. So don't call him bad. Like, he's just – you don't want him starting more just than not good. four games. You know? It's not bad. He's just not good. So he could keep it close-ish. I just, I just don't think there's enough talent for Arizona. Yeah, so I mean, let's talk about this game quickly. Okay. And let's be honest. The, the interest in this game is not coming from the Arizona side. You know, that offense, Josh Dobbs, okay, he's not bad, but he's not good, and he doesn't have an awful lot of help around him. Their offense is probably not going to be that fun to watch. Michael Wilson might be interesting, a rookie wide receiver. But still, that's not where the interest is. Now, Arizona's defense is going to be vaguely fascinating because it doesn't look good. Um, there are also you know, some position changes there. Zayvon Collins, how's he going to do on the edge versus a, an off-the-ball you know, inside linebacker? That's fascinating to watch. But really, the thing to watch in this game, I think, is Washington. Like Sam Howell, Eric Bieniemy's offense – how does that function? It looked, you know, reasonably good in preseason. Um, I mean, Sam Howell is one of these guys now that sort of like quarterback TJ Edwards, where like every stage it's looked good. It's graded well. It's been pretty decent. But, it, you know, you keep keep stepping up. you got to do it now in regular season. Preseason was one thing. Cameo at the end of last season was another thing. Now you got a 17-game schedule you got to do it for. That's a different world. I think I think Howell's going to look like a star in this game. Really? I think you know, I keep saying when we wake up Monday morning. Remember Jonathan Gannon when he took over for as defensive coordinator for the Eagles, 2021. Uh-huh. That stretch, the first six, seven games of the week, every quarterback completed over right. 80% it was of their just passes. Nothing but pure vanilla zone. It was the most vanilla soft zone I've ever seen. And the personnel. In, it looked like a preseason defense until like week nine. And the personnel in Philadelphia wasn't that bad. Uh, they had a great defensive line still. And then last year they had much better personnel and he was a little bit more aggressive in the whole deal. The, the personnel will not give him a chance. With the, you know, you, Zayvon Collins is moving from linebacker to pass rusher. You can't do that. It just, it's not going to work. That's my, that's my feeling on Arizona. It's not that. I, I think Sam Howell is going to have a huge game week one. Um, I don't know what's going to happen beyond that, but I, I think we're looking at an Arizona Cardinals team that's going to make a lot of people look like stars this year. <laughs> so I'm going to say Washington covers the seven here in week one. Yeah, it, it does look like they are setting up to institutionally tank to make sure that next year they have as much draft capital as humanly possible. Whether or not they're taking Caleb Williams at the top, they want to make sure that it's their pick so that yeah, I mean, if I they're not taking him, they can trade it for a million draft picks. It's a fine move. It's the right move. I not you know we'll see who's part of the rebuild this year in arizona that's what we'll be watching 
in Dennis. The Barbarian. And the Barbarian. All right, one of my favorite games of the week is Miami Dolphins at the Hang Los on, Angeles. We're, we're, so we're both taking Washington? Both taking Washington here. Got it. Yes. Uh, one of my favorite games of the week is the Miami Dolphins at the Los Angeles Chargers. We're into the 425 slate here. Um, they played last year. Chargers beat the Dolphins pretty handily in December. Chargers are favored by three here. Storyline-wise, of course, you have Tua Tungavailoa and Justin Herbert. Went back-to-back in the draft. Uh, two of five to the Dolphins. Herbert six to the Chargers. Went back-to-back in the draft back in 2020. And uh, both teams have high expectations this year, right? The Dolphins think they're going to challenge in the AFC East. The Chargers are always trying to challenge in the AFC West. Think they're going to be right up there with the Chiefs. Chargers by three here. What are you looking for in this game? Yeah, I mean, we had a couple of bets uh, talking about the Chargers' defense, and it was going to be much better. But, I mean, by far, to me, the more compelling side of the ball is the offensive side. Justin Herbert, Kellen Moore. Does that unlock something in Justin Herbert? Was Does it even need to be unlocked? Like, was Justin Herbert actually just dealing with that busted-ass rib all season? And if you put him in there fully healthy, he's actually going to be much more aggressive and fire the ball deeper down the field. Maybe, but it was three years of the low average depth of target. And again, I've, I've said this to you before. I, I explained it away a little bit. Maybe it's because the Chargers are one of the more, have been one of the more pass-happy teams on early downs. And if you are buying into this whole pass to set up the run and pass on early downs because it's more effective than just, you know, running into a brick wall and having second and eight, does that affect your A dot, you know, that your average depth of target? Does that affect things? So I don't know if that's the stat that I'm looking for with Herbert. I just I want more big time throws out of him because I know he's capable, right? That's what Justin Herbert yeah. should be and can tell and more unlock that, especially with Quentin Johnston in the mix now and what the you know, what the receiver talent looks like for the Chargers. He's a very interesting quarterback because you don't typically find guys that are as physically talented as he is, as capable of spectacular big-time throws, as capable of threading the needle into a closing window with, you know, defenders all over it, who also skew conservative and careful with the football. Like, leading the league for two straight years in turnover-worthy play rate should not be connected to a guy with that kind of physical talent. It just shouldn't be. So uh, that leads everybody to think that there's more there, that he can be, if he just gets a bit more aggressive, we can be seeing something truly insane. But he might just be that style of quarterback. The way Aaron Rodgers is always skewed low on interceptions, you know, at the the expense of some more throwaways and some more um, – some more sacks and that kind of thing. Like he just skews a little bit in that direction. Maybe that's going to be Justin Herbert as well. But that's the thing to watch. Like he's got playmakers. He may have the best offensive line he's ever had in front of him. He's got a new offensive coordinator. Now let's see something different than we've seen from Herbert so far in his NFL career. Mentioned last year's game. Chargers won twenty-three to seventeen. It wasn't handily, but they you know they won by six. Um, in that game, Tua Tagovailoa goes ten for twenty-eight. For 145 yards. Remember, Tua throughout the season was uh, tearing it up statistically. Yards per attempt, EPA per play was out of this world. Tyree Kill was on pace for 2,000 receiving yards early on. Him and Waddle as as deep threats. And when you watch the film in this game, the Chargers were really good, man. Defensively, I mean, if if you are so, you told me you just dove into the tape and sort of looked at this again. Now, the narrative on this game is the Chargers figured out. The Dolphins and Tua's offense. They crowded the middle of the field. They forced everything wide. They made Tua target the sideline with his little noodle arm, and he couldn't get it done. And this is the blueprint. This was the answer. 
Was that actually what happened? I don't think <clears throat> it was blueprinty. I really think that the Chargers just played really, really well and really physical. Uh, Michael Davis, the big outside corner, he was he was covering Waddle and Tyreek Hill and physical. Every time they had a solo receiver, the Chargers would press him and just disrupt. And what happened was every, uh, most of the windows were tight for Tua. And when there were tight windows, he couldn't like he went 10 for 28. He wasn't completing passes. There were also a couple busted coverages. Waddle was wide open on a post and Tua missed him. You know, so what you got in this game was most throws were difficult because the Chargers were just playing physical and just taking away the the easy stuff. And then every now and again, they, you know, the Dolphins did get open, and Tua wasn't ready for it. He wasn't ready for the open throws, and he missed it. So Tua was bad in the game. And the Chargers just, they played really, really well, both up front from a run game perspective and from a coverage perspective. So if you're, a, you know, the annual Chargers hype, this watching that game will make you feel like, oh, they could do anything, the Chargers, because that was their defense at their pinnacle. Um, and they were missing the player, I believe, and they were missing Joey Bosa. So... I, I like the Chargers because I think what they're capable of doing against this Miami team. Because, again, on, if, I did, if you take that game out, when you see this on paper, Chargers with their run defense woes and everything, it should be a good matchup for Miami. But the Chargers, they had a good game plan, and they did execute it extremely well last year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is a big question. Is that this, is one of, this is the team that gave uh, Miami's offense the biggest issue last season. So I think Miami is facing a year where they have to prove McDaniel in particular, that they, they've got counters. They've figured out what's the next step. You know, this is this weird arms race in the NFL right now is generally it's like the Shanahan coaching tree versus the Vic Fangio defense um, sparring with each other, right? And what, what's interesting is the Shanahan coaching tree side of things, instead of like usually I think they tried to avoid those defenses to cause them problems. This coaching tree seems to be embracing it and going, okay, that's the thing that's causing us issues. Go hire me one of those guys. That's who's going to run our defense. I don't even care what our defense does, but it means I can practice against that every week and figure out how to get better. So Mike McDaniel went to the source. He went and hired Vic Fangio um, and has spent the offseason practicing against it. So what has McDaniel done to evolve this offense and to make sure that they stay a step ahead? Because remember, the start of last season – the Dolphins' offense was the hottest offense in the NFL. It was just roasting people, like absolutely torching the league. And then Tua got his concussions, things like that game happened, and the whole thing sort of un- unraveled a little bit late in the season. But, I mean, if he's able to I've, – I've had an offseason now. I'm back to where we started last year. I'm a step ahead again. Like, if he's done that, then, again, one of the one of the week one overreactions is going to be, holy crap, This Dolphin, the Dolphins are going to the Super Bowl. Two is going to be MVP, like all that stuff. Oh, it's, it's going to be one of the best games. And again, <laughs> just referencing last year's game, it wasn't a pure Fangio scheme. It was a lot of single high on early downs, tight man coverage type of stuff. And then they play more of a, you know aggressive cover two uh, on third down. And if they do that again, I think it is, that is a challenge for this Dolphins offense. So give me the Chargers, man, to cover the three. Mm. Uh, I'm going to stay with Miami. Ooh, going with Miami. How many places have we differed? One, two, three, four. Four places, five places we've differed so far. That's East Coast going West. It's a whole different ballgame. It's okay. It's like just uh, a one o'clock game. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so that's okay. 
All right, Green Bay Packers at the Chicago Bears. Bears favored by one. Uh, reports yesterday that the Packers' top two receivers, Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs. Both hurt. Both hurt. That's not great. Are they questionable? Nobody does doubtful anymore, so everybody's questionable. Aren't we all questionable? Oh, we are. So could be a huge factor here. Jordan Love making his first start as the starter, as the official starter here for the Packers. And then Justin Fields trying to see what he looks like here in year three. Yeah, neither one of those receivers practiced on Wednesday. And they both had hamstrings, which is not oh, good. Oh, gosh. The <laughs> dreaded hamstring. Yeah. Cooper Cup's out with the stupid hamstrings. You're done for Cooper the Cup's season. busy seeing, like, specialists, and they're, like, day-to-day. Like, dude, that guy's not showing up for a month. Hamstrings are the worst. The absolute worst. Hate him. What are you looking for in this one? Well, I would have been looking for those two receivers in Jordan Love and how that offense is going to look. But without either of them, I'm – Probably looking at the other side of the ball. I don't know what to make. I mean, look, I I think they'll be – Jordan Love looked good in the preseason. Yes. I thought there would be – even with Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, you'd you'd have a little bit – some ups and downs. But with those guys, with that Watson deep threat skill set, Dobbs and his ball skills, and then sprinkling the rookies in, Jaden Reed and Luke Musgrave, I mean, hashtag fun to watch. Everybody's in their first two years, and they're growing with Jordan Love, and I think there'll be some games where they look electric and other games where there's some – you know, it's tough. Without those guys, it's going to be really difficult on Love. No, it's it's an interesting receiving core when those guys are there. Like, it looks pretty weak, but I actually like the talent there. I think – Christian Watson is is we sh- we saw what he can do last season already. Like the physical ability is it's undeniable. Like you you cannot help but lose to that sometimes because he's bigger, stronger, faster than you are, and that's that goes for almost every cornerback in the NFL. Um, I think the Romeo Dobbs hype from a year ago is there's something to it. I think he'll be a good player year two, and then. Behind them, you've got rookie Luke Musgrave, who could be a factor. You've got Jaden Reed, the rookie in the slot. Like, there's players there. If you take them out of it, I mean, that's awful. <laughs> if they're not there, the rookie tight end Luke Musgrave is leading the line as the receiver if those guys aren't playing in the game. Uh, it's all rookies, basically. Dontavian Wicks. Uh, Malik Heath flashed a little bit when we were at mm-hmm. training camp. Right, and Wicks is also questionable, I think. With, yeah. with You know what he's injured with? Hamstring. Yeah. What is going on? In know. Green Bay. He was at least limited in Wednesday, so he, he was there playing. But, yes, hamstring. David Bakhtiari probably just resting, um, should be ready to play. And that offensive line, as you mentioned throughout the preseason, was, was fantastic. The offensive, so that's what's going to be interesting here is, like, the offensive line for Green Bay should pass protect pretty well. The Bears' defensive line doesn't have anybody that consistently has gotten pressure in recent years. We'll see if they improve. But, you know, of all the overhauls in Chicago – the, the weakest part's probably the D-line for this year. You know, that's one they just – I don't think they've properly gotten there yet. They bring in Yannick Ngakwe and Demarcus Walker. Is that enough? I don't know. Um, but that's going to be interesting on that side of the ball where Green Bay, Jordan Love should have time to throw, but who is he throwing to? Yeah. That, I mean, that <laughs> quarterback obviously moves the needle and changes things. But when you don't have your top two receivers and your receiving core is already thin and relatively weak uh, – that's a problem. So I, I, I really want to take Chicago. I mean, I wanted to take Green Bay until the injury factor. Yes. Um, I might lean Chicago here. The thing I'm watching there is obviously Fields' development as a passer. We know that he became just an electric runner, both mm-hmm. design run game and just when things break down. I mean, he was creating touchdowns last year. Remember the third and two? 
and he just runs for 64 yards for a touchdown. And he's just creating big plays out of nowhere. But Fields has to develop as a passer. And the DJ Moore effect, bringing him in, full year of Chase Claypool, Darnell Mooney, you know, push him down the depth chart, Cole Komet, they just paid him this offseason. He was the beneficiary of a lot of the new offense last year. Uh, if those guys, those those guys have to look effective, but I, I want to see DJ Moore, Justin Fields combination. Yeah, I mean, so there's two questions. There's what, how much of a step does Justin Fields take take himself this year as a passer, which is important. I mean, he needs to take a fairly significant one for him to be be the future there. But there's also the question of if he gets no better whatsoever, how much better does the passing game look anyway? Because they added guys like DJ Moore and you know the free plays that we saw in that first preseason game. Like, if those just happen throughout 17 games, how much better does that make the passing offense for Chicago, even if Justin Fields is exactly the same guy as he was a year ago? The, I mean, it's preseason. We talk, it's meaningless, yada, yada, general caveat. But for Fields, it's, it's 11 total dropbacks, right? So it's a, it's a comical sample size as well. But the breakdown was fascinating because the first preseason game, he has that absurd stat line where he was three for three for 129 yards and two touchdowns with a, an average depth of target of minus 2.3, right? So every, the average pass was two yards behind the line of scrimmage. The next preseason game, he was six, six attempts, two completions for 51 yards and a 57 passing grade. So it's like, well, like, I don't know what to do with that. Is that like Fields is the same guy? He just happened to pick up three like free huge plays by dumping it out. Do nothing to with receivers. you. Do nothing with the three preseason plays. Yeah, is your answer right? Or but you know your point basically I think is is that what the Bears' offense is going to be now? The space that Fields creates as a runner, the space that you know DJ Moore's ability after the catch and down the field are they? Well, my point creating is more free yards. No, this my year? my point is that they should be better anyway. Yeah. Like even if Fields doesn't develop at all, the uh, the passing offense and therefore the offense as a whole should be better because now DJ Moore can take a screen seventy yards, you know, with with no help, and there's other players there that can do that as well, um, but. The, the question still remains, like, how much better can Fields get as a passer? All right, where are you going with this one? Chicago, Chicago one. just because it looks like the Packers might not have any wide receivers. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take Chicago as well. Both taking the Bears to cover the one. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders at the Denver Broncos. Broncos favored by three and a half. We got Russ in year two for Denver. Sean Payton's debut as head coach of the Broncos. Year two for Josh McDaniels with the Raiders. He's bringing Jimmy Garoppolo in, old friend. What are you looking for in this one? Um, I mean, it's got to be first and foremost Russ, right? Like, what does Russell Wilson look like with Sean Payton calling the shots? You see the – I haven't read the article. Seth Wickersham wrote, you know, one of his sort of, I'm there for a week and a half, taking the inside the thing, and it was Sean Payton in Denver. I've only seen sort of a few quotes and stuff from it, but Payton is, like, legitimately coming in and laying down the law. Like, this is not – The bucket hats. Yeah, well, yeah, but it's more like he also had a quote about, like, for the love of God, stop kissing every baby. You're not running for office to Russ. Like, drop the bullshit. Like, just concentrate on being a quarterback, not, you know, a corny subway salesman or whatever it is you're doing. Um, like, he's really coming in. Do you think Russ responds to tough love? That's the thing. I don't know. I he mean, had Pete Carroll his entire time. Pete wasn't telling him to stop kissing babies. Right. Like, I, I think we've, we've, 
learned last year that you can definitely go too far on the molly coddling on the rust thing and if you give him everything he wants and you know yeah. wrap him in cotton wool apparently that's bad right i don't think that necessarily means that the solution is we go 180 the other direction and we are like bear bryant you know stomping you do this my way or the highway like pull yourself together i'm in charge i don't know that that's the right solution either but I mean, that whole dynamic is one of the most fascinating things in the NFL this year. Can Sean Payton fix Russ? Is it fixable? What does it look like? All of that. Yeah, Sean Payton, with a, when you look at his career, so he took over for the Saints in 2006, and they go right to the NFC Championship game. Uh, they're 10-6 they're and six that year. Um, he's had, he had Drew Brees for his entire career until the end, until 2021. But there was a lot of years where Sean Payton had Drew Brees and they went seven and nine. They went seven and nine four different times, eight and eight another time, with Drew Brees as the quarterback in New Orleans. Yeah. Now they also hit on one of the best draft classes of all time in 2017. That turned the franchise around, and then they were you know competitive and playing in NFC championships. They won a Super Bowl, of course, in that mix as well. I'm just curious if the Sean Payton thing works right out of the gate. Because the last thing we saw was, hey, they, they went 9-8 and eight in 2021, and it was post-Breeze, and they stitched it together at quarterback with Jameis and Taysom Hill, and like Trevor Simeon was in there, right? It, they stitched it together. It's like Sean Payton can win with anybody. He went 5-0 and oh with Teddy Bridgewater a couple years ago. Is that actually the case? But that was after 15 years in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Can he have the same effect right away? In Denver, like you're saying, changing absolutely everything. I think that's where maybe it takes a little bit of time. And also the circumstances like around Russell Wilson have changed a bit with injuries. Like remember when we were saying the guy, like there's so many wide receivers here. How are they even going to spread the ball around all these guys? We went from that very quickly to Marvin Mims is going to have to carry this thing for a while while everybody gets back from injuries. Now, Cortland Sutton should still be there. Jerry Judy, maybe back and, and ready but his was a hamstring as well albeit a more I think routine you know pull than than some of these other guys but that's a, a potential concern I I mean I just don't know what this Denver defense is going or Denver offense is going to look like except they're probably going to be running the ball a lot and that puts the focus on Javante Williams who doesn't have any right to be out there given what he was dealing with as an injury and yet he was back in preseason didn't look bad there was one play where he had the sort of J.K. Dobbins limp run thing going. But outside of that, he actually looked pretty solid movement-wise. Like you wouldn't, wouldn't have known from watching that tape that that knee didn't exist a while ago. Yeah, Denver's going to be, man, a lot of storylines in there. Denver-wise, you mentioned all the receivers, the, the leaning on the running game. I just wonder if it's going to take a little bit of time, a little bit more time in Denver because they got playmakers on both sides of the ball. Um, Oakland, uh, Oakland, Vegas has had the Raiders have had some success against the Broncos last couple of years. I think I don't want to say people are sleeping on Jimmy Garoppolo, but say what you want about him. I think he was elevated statistically, absolutely, by Kyle Shanahan and those playmakers. Mm -hmm. But he's also in a familiar system. This is where he came up in the Patriots system with Josh McDaniels, and he's got a good group of playmakers again. He's got Devontae Adams. He has Jacoby Myers as his two and Hunter Renfro in the slot. A couple good tight ends, presumably, and Michael Mayer, Austin Hooper, and Josh Jacobs running the ball. I think Garoppolo's going to be solid. Uh, my question for the Raiders is always going to be their defense. And um, She still looks awful. It does. It's Max Crosby and friends. I know uh, 
Tyree Wilson had that awesome pass rush in the preseason, the incredible bull rush against the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Showed off his potential. I just don't know how much you expect from him. You've also got this right stuff away. that's going on with Chandler Jones right now. Yeah, uh, they apparently sent a crisis team to his house after that. So that's the second time he had one of those incidents when he was in New England, when he was like in the street running around yeah. shirtless or whatever. So it's the second, at least the second documented time where there's something odd going on there. Right. So just stuff to keep an eye on. So I don't trust the Raiders' defense. I kind of like their offense. I don't know if Denver's going to be better. In, like, I, I wonder if Denver's going to be better in week seven or eight than they are the beginning of the season. And so week, for th- week seven or eight for Denver, like almost any possible scenario is on the table. They could be. They turned it around right. and they're competing for the Super Bowl, or it's like, nope. Or like the whole thing is spiraled to hell. And, yeah. you know, that Russell, Russ has been benched, right? Like jarrett stidham is the starting quarterback russ is now like a 250 million dollar millstone hanging around the neck of the franchise just being corny on the sideline the whole thing could be insane where are you going in this one man broncos Uh, are favored by three and a half i buy into sean payton and denver more than i buy into the raiders this is where i get in trouble with my picks i paint this picture that might not have any legs. The picture of Denver starting slow yeah. this year in the Sean Payton era, and I'm going to take in, in the history here. The Raiders have had success, so I'll take the Raiders to cover the three and a half. Just four more games, easy to discuss here. Easy money. Philadelphia Eagles at the New England Patriots. Eagles coming off their Super Bowl loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. They're favored by four over the Patriots, and the Patriots are welcoming Tom Brady back to celebrate his career here in New England. What are you looking for in this one? Philly favored by four at the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, obviously, New England offense, what um, Mac Jones is going to look like with a real offensive coordinator again. Is he going to bounce back or is this thing in trouble generally, like regardless of, um, of him? Do you see the reports of Albert Breer talking about Juju's knee? Could explode at any time. Explode. I, I mean, that's not good, right? No, it's not good. You, I mean, even you're your the knees. Son of, you're the son of doctors. What does that mean? Even your knees, wrecked as they appear to be, don't appear to be in danger of exploding at they any time. They can swell at any time. Right. I will have knee swelling but quite no, a bit. No risk of explosion, or at least no apparent risk of explosion. Not that I know of. So a wide receiver's knee being at risk of exploding at any time sounds bad. Um, and, you know, he, he figures to be a pretty important part of that offense. So that doesn't sound great. Yeah, it was kind of like my, my GM segment yesterday. You know, New England is, you know, they're, they're going to be fundamentally sound on defense and they're, they're solid there and they've got, you know, good coaching. And it's just to me, if you're going to compete week in, week out, you've got to have the playmakers. And if you're going to have a rookie quarterback like a Mac Jones, you, you could take shots on playmakers like a DeAndre Hopkins or like trading for a T. Higgins or a Brandon Ayuk or whatever it is. And I think until New England is actually has playmakers that scare defenses it's it's going to be a challenge for them yeah and like a one-week setting we've seen mac jones with this type of group you know put up 28 30 points and they run the ball pretty well they did that two years ago i mean that's what you're banking on here the 2021 patriots were good for the majority of the season mac played effectively they ran the ball well but honestly the post brady era for the patriots has been they've kind of beaten up on some bad teams yeah. When they, they beat up on the Jets, they beat up on a bad Colts team, they beat up on bad teams, but when they've run up against good teams, they've struggled. Yeah. They had no chance against the Bills. I mean, I think and I think that's what we're, we're going to see this week. I think that's often the story of a team that doesn't have a clear you know, elite quarterback as well. Like You can beat bad teams with a decent quarterback. You, 
you tend to struggle though when you run into the teams that have really good quarterbacks like it's it's honestly sort of sad state of the current NFL is it's almost just a linear representation of how good your quarterback is if you have a really good one you're going to be contending if you have a really bad one you have no shot and if you have a guy in the middle you're going to beat one of those sides and lose to the other like that's just the reality of where the world is at the moment but the Patriots they just desperately need to hit on one wide receiver ever you know just one. Like, if Tyquan Thornton had actually been the guy that they thought he was going to be, and they had discovered the next, you know... Mike Desha- Wallace. Mike Wallace, Deshaun Jackson, um, you know, anybody. Any of the, one of those sort of dangerous speed weapons. That transforms this unit. Only it turns out that he's the next guy that you've just completely mis-evaluated as a wide receiver, and he is dying on this depth chart and going nowhere and actually being jumped by guys like Demario Douglas. Like... They just need somebody because they're not like they haven't gone to the marketplace and done a Randy Moss deal again, right? Which would change it. Like you do the Randy Moss deal or the Wes Welker deal or the Brandon Cooks deal, you go and get one of those, that changes things as well. But instead, they're kind of moving the pieces around. It's like, let's get a Devontae Parker or a Juju with his exploding knee. Like that's not moving the needle a huge amount. If they'd done that and hit on a Tyquan Thornton, that would change things. But one of those two things needs to happen. Like, they either need to go and do something big in the veteran trade market, right? Like, New Hopkins would have been a thing they could have done. Or they need to actually hit on one of these wide receivers they draft. If neither of those things happens, I don't know that it matters that Mac Jones sort of bounces back to, like, an 80 grade this year with with an offensive coordinator. It's just not going to be enough. I mean, to me, that's the high-level picture of New England. The short-term issue now going up against Philadelphia is this offensive line. Michael Edwenu and Trent Brown both questionable. And even when they're in there and starting, Calvin Anderson slated to start at Mm. right tackle. Trent Brown's just okay at tackle anyway. I feel like Uh, the line will be fine. Like, I think people make too much of this line being a weakness now. I, it's not what it used to be, but I think it's still going to be. It's like, still a mismatch against Philly's front, though. In, yeah, but that's from more. From a pass rush perspective. Right. That's more just because Philly's front is that good. Yeah. Well, that's what we're talking about for this week. So, mm-hmm. um, fine. That and then, I, you know, the, the other matchup, the Eagles against the Patriots defense. Um, again, the Patriots defense was, was solid last year. They look good on paper. They're, again, fundamentally sound and struggle sometimes against mobile quarterbacks they struggled against Justin Fields last year Um, but that should be an awesome matchup I just don't know if the Patriots have answers get to see Christian Gonzalez against A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith right off the bat Mm. Jonathan Jones outside I I don't know if those guys are the answers against the Eagles playmakers no probably not Um, yeah I mean Philadelphia's offense looks like a mismatch relative to this defense and you know I think we've had a couple of listeners point out that the Patriots' defense last season was really good, um, graded well, had really good numbers. But that was another example of they tended to feast against really bad offenses and not so much against Owned Zach Wilson twice, I believe. Uh, got Sam Ellinger in the Colts with their yeah. makeshift offensive line. I think their defensive performance was inflated by right. by by mismatches. Yeah, and that shouldn't be the case against the, the, the Eagles, who are good like that. They're going to have their work cut out for them. Um, Philadelphia, we've talked a lot of te- a lot about teams, you know, kind of changing where their what their starting point is. Philadelphia did not have these high expectations last year. Uh, now they do, right? A lot of people picking them to go back to the Super Bowl. Jalen Hurts just got paid. 
does that they have they have a couple new new players to you know to mix in there they maximize James Bradbury and Darius Slay are they fragile there those guys have had ups and downs throughout their careers but they were at their peak last year can they maintain that level of play those are my questions for the Eagles but I think right now coming into the season the Eagles are going to look like they did last year which is one of the best teams in the NFL and what I thought last year was the best all-around team capable of winning any type of game any given week yeah it's really just looking at how the the succession plan players are going to do you know how does Cam Jurgens play now that he's the right guard instead of Isaac Sayamala how does Reed Blankenship play as an every down safety now that he's expected to step in and take that role how does N'Kobe Dean play now that he starts year two when he didn't get starting year one with TJ Edwards gone um, either you know Jalen Carter or Milton Williams is going to have to try and replace Javon Hargrave or the two of them in the aggregate how close to, can they get to what was one of the best interior pass rushes in the NFL last season so you know we know they have the players like they've planned this but now you need to actually execute so it's really just how each one of those individual succession plan players actually steps into that role and performs all right Eagles favored by four in New England does Tom Brady's return mean anything where are you going uh, I'm buying the Eagles still. Yeah, same. I'll take the I'll take the Eagles to cover the four on the road in New England. Uh, Los Angeles Rams at the Seattle Seahawks. Another division matchup here. Rams in their rebuild, and the Seahawks coming off a playoff appearance where they're you know some people are hyping them up as NFC West competitors. The the Seahawks are favored by five and a half here. Mm, they're getting a lot of hype recently. They have. They are. I mean, in that division, it should be the Seahawks and the Niners. Yeah. Um, you know, fascinating to see what the Rams look like because no team has more unprovens than them. Uh, to go with Aaron Donald, especially like defensive side of the ball, it's all youth. Mm-hmm. A couple veterans sprinkled in there. And then offensively, Matthew Stafford. Again, on paper, you can make the case that the offensive line isn't as bad because everybody's healthy, but it's still certainly not as good as they were in 21. No. And other times during the Sean McVay era. So the offensive line is going to be a question. And now Cooper Cup, we hinted at this earlier, dealing with the hamstring injury. Hamstrings are so obnoxious because as soon as you feel like you're good, it goes again. Cooper Cup had multiple setbacks. This is going back months now. Yeah. For I the mean, hamstring. I said, so that's a massive concern for the As Rams. I said, he is visiting specialists, which does not sound like a – that's not a typical hamstring pull. Like you don't need to see a specialist. Like that's like – I don't – there's a few different things that can happen with a hamstring that are more complicated than a simple sprain. But when you're visiting specialists in a different city, that sounds like that's what you're dealing with, at which point day-to-day is ridiculous. Like he's not showing up for quite some time. Did he go back to the old Rams guy who's with the Vikings? Is that why he went to Minnesota? Possibly, yeah. It's not good, though. No. I was never fast enough to pull a hamstring, but <laughs> just, you know, doesn't yeah. seem good. I've pulled hamstrings, and they're not fun. Um, from a Rams perspective, you know, how are they going to create offense? I think you are looking at uh, Tutu Atwell being used. He's gotten behind the defense a few times early in his career here. You use him as a deep threat and rookie Puka Nakua. Get to see what the camp hype was all about him. If he's going to steal a bunch of those targets, going to see a lot of Tyler Higby at tight end. Um, Matchup-wise, I do want to see the Rams offensive line they'll be tested versus the Seahawks defensive line, right? The Seahawks, I don't know, I don't want to say their biggest weakness, but one of their biggest weaknesses over the last couple of years, pass rush, just consistent pass rush in Seattle. And they're just, you know, incrementally better. 
you know, as far as adding players, they should be able to have some success against the Rams from a pass rush perspective. Yep. Um, but I think the same thing is true on the other side, if just for Aaron Donald. I mean, I, th- I think one of those reactions coming out of this game is going to be, you know, reports of Aaron Donald's demise were greatly exaggerated. Donald always crushes the Seahawks. Um, but we know that like, if he doesn't have anyone else with him and the, the edge rushers right now, Michael Hoyt, rookie Byron Young, rookie Nick Hampton, I mean, Zach Van Valkenburg. What a name. Those are the, those are the guys. The other Jonah Williams on the interior, Bobby Brown the third, Ernest Brown the fourth. You don't want to be the other Jonah Williams. Kobe Turner. I love Kobe Turner. He'll be fine. But Aaron Donald, he could have seven of those quick wins that we we give him that don't lead to pressure. Mm -hmm. Seven more pressures. Mm -hmm. No sacks. It's not going to have an impact on the game if no one else is doing anything. Right. It might not have an impact in the game, but I, I think we will come out of this game being like, oh, we were, we were too quick to write off Aaron Donald. By we, I mean other people. Um, Donald, like, averages, like, eight pressures a game against Seattle. Yeah. Do you think Tremaine Ancrum Jr., the right guard for the Rams, do you think he was one of the people that made Aaron Donald, like, when he voted him in, put him in the 20s? Right, yeah. <laughs> Guy's lost a step. Like, every guard should put him in at one, I yes. respect, <laughs> <Right>. immediately. <laughs> Just for the fear of what could happen if they yeah. don't. Um, so, yeah, that side of the ball. I want to say, like, Seattle – Needs to rush the passer better. They should have an opportunity here. Joe Noteboom, we get to see him tested again at left tackle coming off of his injury. Um, it's just three or four unproven offensive linemen for the Rams. And then whole unproven defense. And then Seattle, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba should be a go, right, with the hand injury. Get to see how he interacts with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I'm expecting some success through the air for Seattle in this game. Um, yeah, no, I think they will. I, that passing offense should be fun. It, it's going to be fascinating to focus on, you know, Geno Smith and what he can do this year. We, we talked about that a lot in the preview show. I, even the Seahawks weren't necessarily 100% sold that he could back up what he did. But, I mean, that's going to be interesting to watch. If nothing else, he's the right type of question mark. Like, he's a guy that will make a lot of big plays, and maybe there'll be a lot of you know some rough plays in there as well but i that's okay yeah that's hey it's always been more interesting just in itself like the Jameis winstons of the world have always been more interesting quarterbacks than guys that are just giving you beige for the entire you know the, those classic game managers that do nothing but, but now it, it's also more important because like if you're not going to have a superstar you might as well at least try and get a guy that can be a superstar in a given game even if you know it's not going to last more than a you know a set period of time, and I think just as important is the fact that you have guys to throw to, so you want somebody that's that's going to be giving yes. them opportunities right. to make the plays. Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's like dynamic. Right? Geno Smith. You, I don't want to overstate it. Right, he had some of those elite games. He didn't have them down the stretch. His second half grade, Geno Smith, was not that great. Mm-hmm. But in those games where even if the grade wasn't great, he bounced back from mistakes. He didn't have any pure just duds where he looked incompetent. He'd make some mistakes. He'd bounce back. He kept Seattle competitive. They made the playoffs. I expect more of the same. Want to see the youth on defense again? Take that step forward, Tariq Woolen. Right? I want to see. I want to see them try a deep shot. The Rams Tutu Atwell against Tariq Woolen. Those are always fun. Little Tutu against huge monstrous Tariq Woolen. Um, those don't tend to go very well, but might see a couple of those in this game. So, I'm expecting Seattle to uh, 
to cover the five and a half here at home. Yeah, I'm, I'm lower on Seattle than a lot of people heading into the season, but I, I'm not expecting much from the Rams at all. So, yeah, Seattle. All right, Sunday Night Football, Dallas Cowboys at the New York Giants. Cowboys favored by three and a half on Sunday Night Football. I think for me, you get to see Mike McCarthy calling plays here once again for the first time in years. Brian Schottenheimer comes in as the offensive coordinator in name. I think from an X's and O's standpoint, anytime you have a new system, I don't know how new it is exactly, you know, but you still have different ways of handling the blitz perhaps or whatever it might be, and you're going up against Week Martindale on the blitz. So our analysis every single week, how does this offense handle the Giants' blitz scheme mm-hmm. defensively? Um, I mean, I think they're going to handle it by having pretty solid offensive line and playmakers. Yeah, guys know? to get open. Yeah, they're reasonably equipped to do that, I think. So, yeah, that, that – I mean, look, Dak Prescott's taken a lot of crap this offseason because of leading the league in interceptions last year. Dak Prescott got unlucky last year in terms of, you know, interception luck. Now, he also had more turnover-worthy plays than usual, but not catastrophically so. Like – his turnover-worthy play rate, I think, was 4% last season, which there were like 10, 11 quarterbacks had a worse turnover-worthy play rate than that, including, by the way, Geno Smith, Josh Allen, you know, some good quarterbacks in there. So it wasn't catastrophic. Like, he got very unlucky there. And generally in his career, he's been very lucky with that ratio. So if that swings back to normal, he's fine. Um, he's always been a quarterback that puts the ball in harm's way a little bit more than some other guys. And that's part of why he's in that next tier down, not the true elite, you know, alpha tier of absolute ballers because he's going to make a few more mistakes than some other quarterbacks. But that shouldn't, like, we shouldn't be, he's shown that he's capable of literally leading a number one ranked offense in the NFL and doing it at a high level. He's still that guy. And by the way, you just made his environment better because you went and got him Brandon Cooks and your offensive line should be a little bit better with guys coming back healthy, Terrence Steele, uh, a tackle. So the hysteria around Dak, I think, has gone from like one end of the spectrum of, oh, he's the best quarterback in the the world to, man, you can't live with that. Leading the league in interceptions. Time to get rid of him. Time to move on. Time to put Trey Lance out there. You know, give the young guy a shot. Don't give the yelling shows any fodder. <laughs> That's from the yelling shows. That's not just, here on I'm the PFF saying, NFL podcast. I feel like we've gone from too far one direction to yeah. too far the other direction. Like, Dak's still good. Yeah. You know my starting point. It's it's quarterback and playmakers. And when you see what Dallas did with Cooks and a, a year removed of Michael Gallup coming off injury, C.D. Lamb proved that he could be the, the workhorse last year as a receiver. But a lot of those Dak interceptions came when he was trying to force the ball to C.D. Lamb. Remember how many miscommunications there were. And you don't have to do that this year. So when, when Dak plays within his game, I think this Cowboys offense is going to cook. Now my one question is, Mike McCarthy calling plays, the last time we saw him, I don't want to say he was, he was not, like let's not overrate the last thing we saw. I think things just got stale with him, Aaron Rodgers, and Green Bay, and they needed a change. So I, don't think, I think McCarthy will be fine as a play caller. I'm interested, though, when you have the head coach calling the plays, do you get too conservative? Sometimes the head coach is like, I, I care about my defense. I care about field position. I care about those things because I'm the head coach, and the offensive coordinator is like, I just want to put points on the board. Does Mike McCarthy become too conservative as a head coach play caller? Is he trying to lean into the run game more than Kellen Moore did? Because Kellen Moore was, what, dead smack in the middle? on everything right there was no real extremes with kellen moore does mike mccarthy lean into some of those extremes does he pass the ball 
too much. I mean, all of that stuff is in play. I want, that's what I want to see here, here with the Dallas offense. Yeah. Um, somebody in the chat, by the way, is is asking for uh, asking me to back up the claim that Dak has always put the ball in harm's way more than other quarterbacks because he has one of the lowest interception rates in NFL history, which is a product of him getting relatively lucky, as I pointed out, in terms of turnover-worthy play rate resulting in interceptions, resulting in actual turnovers. His turnover-worthy play rate for his NFL career has always been reasonably high. Now, it spiked last season. It went from a baseline of sort of 3%, 3.2 in 2019, 3.6 in 2020, 3% in 2021. It spiked up to 4% last year. So it went from like middle of the pack, which is higher than the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. Like that, a 3% turnover the play rate is almost double Justin Herbert's league leading. And the best quarterbacks are at like two. Um, and then it went from uh, from that, which is middle of the pack, to spiking to being lower third, but still, you know, ten quarterbacks worse, including he was, some good he was ones. better early in his career, though. He was in the twos. Yeah, he's been above three each of the last four years. Right, and, and that even is, that's like the mid middle of the pack to lower end. Yeah, and the twos were there's two two point eights in that in the run of three in the two percent. So and, basically, one year where he was under two and a half percent, and the better quarterbacks in the NFL are at two percent and under. And don't forget, turnover-worthy plays include fumbles as well, not yes. just interception totals. I agree. Like the interception totals for his career look excellent. Turnover-worthy plays have always been not high. It's not like egregious, but just higher than the interceptions would. Indicate. And higher than the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Like that's the main point. Patrick Mahomes is regularly low twos. Justin Herbert has led the league at 1.8. Tom Brady is always at 2%-ish. Joe Burrow is lower than that. Like, that's what we're talking about here. If you're going to put Dak, that's the thing that's that's holding him back from that echelon of quarterbacks. He's shown he can make the the big plays. He can do everything. He can execute an offense that's, you know, cooking at a number one level. But he will put the ball in harm's way more than those other guys. Always has. Yeah. I also don't care about that number a ton for him because of what you said, right? Yeah, that's ball. what I'm saying. It's not, it's not a huge deal. No. And the interceptions were absolutely overblown, especially when you go and watch some of the interceptions that people were complaining about. So um, other side of the ball, Giants offense, Daniel Jones freshly paid at this offseason, Saquon Barkley not freshly paid, but he's back playing football. And can the Giants do it? How dare you? That man got 900000 extra dollars for showing up the train. That's true. Time. It's all relative. I would take $900,000. Right. That's true. I'll renegotiate. Mm-hmm. Are we like the running backs of PFF here, you and I? Yeah, possibly, yeah. Possibly. Uh-huh. Um, just just interchangeable parts right here, you and I. Right. Just throw anyone else in the seat. They'll they'll crush it here. On just the grab PFF one in the draft. Podcast. But maybe, you know, I'll, I'll take the $900,000 pay bump yeah. if needed. Right. If needed. The one-year guaranteed 900 k Yeah, I'll do that. Um, will the Giants offense, you know, cook again with Daniel Jones as a runner, Saquon back, some better playmakers, Darren Waller uncoverable in the preseason. We're yeah. going to see 15 to 20 targets for him. That's going to be fascinating. Like that, I'm really interested in that, actually. Like Darren Waller, not, not just preseason, but they basically had to take him out during training camp because like, Jones was just going to him every play, like <laughs> religiously yeah. targeting Darren Waller. And they're like, look, come on. Like if you're not going to spread it around, we're going to make you spread it around and take Darren Waller out of the lineup. But – I mean, in the regular season, that might play. Like, why not? If he's the guy, if he's your number one receiver, regard, you know, tight end, wide receiver, doesn't matter. If he's your number one receiver, if they're able to turn that into an unstoppable combination, I mean, that's, that's a fascinating thing to watch. So, yeah, offensively, you want to see that. want to see how the offensive line comes together last year. So Evan Neal 
Yeah. You know, when you have uh, you have Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence. Also, by the way, like if you were Dallas, so Micah Parsons, what was fascinating about him last year is he got sacks. So you know, Nick Bosa had a pretty reasonably charmed life in terms of tackles that he went up against. Micah Parsons got sacks against all pro caliber players like Andrew Thomas. He got two sacks, I think, out of Christian Darisol, which were the first sacks that Darisol gave up before leaving the game with concussion. Like Micah Parsons went up against some dogs at left tackle and got sacks against those guys. On the other hand, if the options are Andrew Thomas on this side and Evan Neal on that side, why would you ever line Micah Parsons up opposite Micah Tom- Michael Thomas, or Andrew Thomas, rather? A quick search shows that his, uh, Micah Parsons' win percentage against Andrew Thomas was 15% and only 12% against Evan Neal. So How many snaps? I mean, it's all small sample sizes. You don't project these forward. How much was... It was 33 against Andrew Thomas and 17 against Evan Neal right. last year. I just don't understand why that wouldn't be, at the very minimum, the opposite way around. Yeah. No, I get it. Um, I just I don't think it's always that clear-cut. Uh, Parsons had that uh, famous toss of Mike McGlinchey. He beat him uh, 50% of the time. 50 Which is a massive number. <laughs> yes. Five out of ten uh, last year. Anyway, I, I, I don't think it's a huge deal. I would pick my spots, though, certainly. Micah Parsons versus Evan Neal. Now, by all reports, Neal looks a little better this year, but that's, that's what we're watching for here is to see – that kind of improvement, much like Andrew Thomas did have early in his career. Can Evan Neal do that? That'll help quite a bit for this Giants offense. Mm-hmm. Spreads three and a half here with the Cowboys favored. Um, I'm going with, uh, with Dallas. I want to see – I mean, look, we, we're on record as being low on the Giants relative to certainly Giants fans um, and to a lot of other people. I'm, I'm fine being wrong on that, but I'm going to need to see it before I – recognize it same yeah i mean all my my offseason analysis dallas good giants better but starting from a lower spot despite their record last year give me dallas to cover the three and a half mm-hmm. on the road sunday night football and then monday night only one monday night game for week one this but year what a game buffalo bills at the new york jets josh allen andrew uh, aaron Rodgers. that's andrew he did aaron Rodgers coming in at home first home game here and the Bills are favored by two and a half on the road against the Jets. Remember, the Jets did beat Buffalo last year with Zach Wilson. That saying. was the, the Zach Wilson turning we are point. disrespecting Aaron Rodgers right out of the gate. You know how he doesn't like that. What? They're not favored. Oh, is he mad about that? Who knows, but he should be. <laughs> if I was him, I would be. So, man's mad at a lot of things. If he can't find a way to get mad about not being favored at home and you're opening week, Nobody believes in the Jets. That's what, yeah, exactly. Nobody believes in them. So I tweeted this out yesterday, and I, I believe the Tuesday morning narrative will be one of the following. Either Aaron Rodgers, the cliff has hit, the Jets wasted this offseason, he's too old. Aaron Rodgers, too old, Jets are terrible. Or the Buffalo Bills, the Super Bowl window, has been slammed shut. Never, ever to be opened again. The Bills... They blew it. They're done. It's over. The Jets are the new kings of the AFC East. Yeah, okay, because that last part is, like, if that's the way this game goes, nobody is going to be talking about the Bills. The Bills will barely get a mention if the Jets roll and win that week one. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, both, be, there's going to be a narrative for both teams it somewhere. It will be Aaron Rodgers and the Jets are going to the Super Bowl, and by the way, the Bills might be toast. But, like, to hell with that. The point is, Rodgers and the Jets, that's the focus. 
So what's it going to be on Tuesday morning here, Sam? I mean, I'm not buying into either one of those extremes, but I'm we buying... don't. But we don't do that here. We are not going to do that on the PFF no. NFL podcast. But I'm buying the Jets. Like, I think they're going to be for real. I That defense is nasty. I don't know if DJ Reed is right and they can rival the 85 Bears, but it should be damn good. Um, and I think the offense will work. Like, I have concerns about that offensive line. I think that's still a, a weakness. Um, but as long as Garrett Wilson is out there, I think the passing game is going to be good. I think the run game can function as well with Brees Hall, Dalvin Cook. I, I think the, their offense will look good. I think the Jets are going to be good. Uh, one of the big questions for the Bills is uh, Tremaine Edmonds leaving and leaving a void at linebacker. They've um, Tremaine Edmonds, you know, we, we, he was one of those guys, I think maybe the hype was a little bit before the production, but he was very productive last year. Mm-hmm. Very good. He goes to the Chicago Bears. And so linebacker, it's been Matt Milano, who's awesome at covering running backs, and the, the battle between Terrell Bernard and Tyrell Dodson. And uh, I think they claimed Christian Kirksey and threw him on the practice squad. So linebacker, we don't talk about linebackers a ton on this show here, but that's like your big question mark on the Bills' defense. That and cornerback two opposite Tredavious White, which is an annual concern. Last year's, what, sixth rounder, Christian Benford, wins the job over last year's first rounder, Kair Elam. That's not always a great sign. I mean, good for Benford, not good for Elam and the Bills. He's still there. And I know he's still there as a backup. those kind of holes, right? When da- when you talk about Dalvin Cook running the ball, you talk about Aaron Rodgers and how he's going to probably feed Garrett Wilson. Um, I don't think you're going to see a ton of matchup, you know, Tredavious White matching up with Garrett Wilson, but we'll see if that's where the Bills go. But that's eh, just something to keep an eye on. Uh, the Bills on the defensive side of the ball have a few of those question marks, plus Vaughn Miller uh, out until week five, of course. So you got to rely on some other guys up front. That's the big thing to me. Um, you know, we know what difference Von Miller made to this defense when he was there last season and what happened when he wasn't there. Uh, now they're they're deliberately keeping him under, you know, bubble wrap for a while, which I think is the correct decision. It doesn't matter if he's there in week one. It matters that he's there in week one of the playoffs, assuming you make it that far, or week, you know, 17, like when you need him to get to the playoffs. But without him, you're left with the same problem, right? Which is... Can Gregory Rousseau essentially be Von Miller and create the pass rush by himself? Can Ed Oliver take a step forward and be a dominant pass rusher, not just a good guy? Can Leonard Floyd combine with Rousseau and create you know, an aggregate pass rush that can offset the loss of Von Miller? Basically, can that defensive front function at the level it was at when Von Miller was there and not the level it was at when he wasn't? We get to see some Stephon Diggs, Sauce Gardner matchups which are always fun. Get to see how Deontay Hardy mixes into the offense as a deep threat. Get to see Dalton Kincaid yeah. for the Bills. Excited by that. So, yeah, there's a lot of potential excitement for the Bills. Again, I've, I've been saying all offseason, let's not I, – I don't know who's talking about it. Super Bowl windows, and it just doesn't feel good for the Bills because they've, they've been close. They've been 13 seconds away from beating the Chiefs, and they've been in the AFC Championship, and they were at home against the Bengals in the snow. Mm-hmm. And they lost those games. and But they're still good. They're still capable of making the move. Um, I wonder with the Jets, are there, are there any growing pains for their offense? Aaron Rodgers being on the same page with his receivers. It looked like Garrett Wilson and him are on the same page. They're fine. But yep. the other guys all know Rodgers, so there probably shouldn't be those issues, right? Yeah. I, I mean, that's the thing. I, the, the only question, I think, when they first made the Rodgers deal was – Rodgers has generally taken some time to develop that chemistry and that uh, tele- uh, telepathy with his number one receiver. And he's usually had the time because they've overlapped with the last number one receiver. 
this is different. He's thrown in there right away, and it's like, Garrett Wilson is already good. Make it work. Make it happen now. And it's only been training camp and preseason, but it's looked like it's there. I mean, that the touchdown they had in preseason, I think, is a great example of chemistry in action. He immediately identified he was one-on-one on the outside, and not only was he happy to throw the ball, but when you look at the way he thread the needle, like he sort of, it was a... It was a touch. It looked like a guy trying to sort of land a ball in a in like a carnival event, you know, where it was like this little touch. Let's just drop it into a bucket, you know, over a cornerback who was there in pretty tight coverage, just had his back turned to him like that. That's the kind of chemistry that Rodgers had with Devontae Adams that he had with Jordy Nelson. And he seems at least based off small sample size to have already decided that. Either he has it with Garrett Wilson or is at least willing to just take that gamble every time, which is the only real important thing. We know he's willing to do that with Alan Lazard as well. Lazard just doesn't have the chops that, that Garrett Wilson does. But, I mean, I think this should work. All right, man. It's pick time. Fired up for Monday night football. This is going to be a great start to the season. Bills at the Jets. Bills favored by two and a half. Where are you going? I... I think the Jets will pull it. Uh, I mean, I guess it is a shock week one. I think they win. Allen, Josh Allen had those turnover-worthy play problems last year, led the league. Yeah. And they were weird ones against the Jets. I mean, the Jets' defense looks fantastic. It's really good, yeah. But he also just had unforced errors against the Jets. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to – I don't know what to make of those. If yeah. You just assume that type of stuff's going to happen. He had some weird unforced errors, not and- pressure-related, not coverage-related, just – didn't see guys and Josh Allen generally I mean you know we he's played amazingly the last two years um but those two years haven't necessarily looked the same you know like he I mean not sure two three years he's played amazing um but last year sort of last year wasn't the same as the previous two he he had the highest big time throw rate he's ever had last season 7.4 percent is nuts like that is absolutely balling out with big plays left, right, and center. Forty-four of them. Um, but he also had a turnover-worthy play rate, which spiked by a, a percentage point and was a lot closer. Like four point two percent is higher than year two Josh Allen, when we were sort of still saying this guy's actually not good yet. Um, so he's really leaned into this like wild variance type of play while still playing at a really high level, but. You've got that on top of this idea of everyone kind of acknowledging that they need to pull a little bit off his plate, certainly from a rushing point of view, to try and, you know, and extend his career and make sure he's not trying to play hero ball every single play. I I get the feeling that Josh Allen is kind of right on that knife edge of trying to do too much at all times. And last year, maybe he took a, a half step above, you know, the wrong side of that line. And if he can pull back this year and take a half step the right side of that line that's exactly where you want him to be we said that we've said that like the last two years but i think he's been a little bit too much on his plate and i think he's been right on that that line the whole like the last couple of years and buffalo's big task really with josh allen the quarterback is to try and identify exactly where that line is go right up to it and stay this side of it with osiris torrance coming in at guard james cook damian harris running the ball Will they run the ball a little bit more? Anyway, all that said, you're taking the Jets. I'm taking Buffalo. I'm still buying in that Buffalo is one of the best teams in the league. And uh, I think the Jets will get there at some point, but I don't know if I'm ready to buy the hype just yet. Okay. So give me Buffalo covering 
the two and a half. A little over two hours, we did it. Easy. That's about our pace. I mean, two, hour, yeah. two hour previews. If anything, the reviews that was are a, about two and a half. We've got a good cadence. If anything, there. that was a quick and tight show. We're we gonna review it Monday morning. Is that yeah, probably the best so. bet? We'll be back Monday morning. We're gonna do the seven a.m. So listen, uh, seven a.m. Monday morning. We're going to review all the games. We usually go for about two and a half hours, and we're gonna grind it out. We're gonna go through game by game and review all of the week one action. Don't forget, if you're here, get to our Discord. It's in the YouTube comments here in the uh, description. Go to the Discord. You have to sign up. We have Madden codes for you. I got five codes for Madden. Five. Five. Four if we give one to Tyler. <laughs> and you got to be in the Discord, though. Yeah. So we appreciate everybody. We got, a, we got a packed house here in the YouTube chat. Appreciate everybody for being with us live. We'll be here every Thursday at 1030, preview in the week. The bigger that thing grows, by the way, we're going to be, you know, we'll do some more cool stuff in there. We'll have some uh, different channels depending on what uh, manifests itself from you people. And we're going to need moderators at some point. Gosh, so we need moderators. Trusted people that we think won't ruin the thing. Yeah, who can moderate for us? We definitely need that. Well, um, so for, if you're new, if you're new to the PFF NFL podcast, the big shows, Monday and Thursday, right? We're going to go five days a week next week. There'll be other stuff. But Monday, 7 a.m., reviewing all the week one action. Thursday, 10.30, previewing all the NFL action. Game yeah. by game. Games tonight. Well, game. Singular. All right. Enjoy the football. Happy opening day to everybody. And, yes, we'll be back again on Monday morning, reviewing all the week one NFL action.